Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Talk shoe recorded, recorded live. live. It's, um, I don't even know what it is. It's May 24th, 2018, and it's 7.31 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. I'm in Maine, up in Bangor. Um, and things are happening. I say that every day. Things are happening. I have the global consciousness dot that I look at every day and see what color it is. And my big joke lately is that I say it twice, whatever it looks like. So I'm going to go look right now and see what it looks like so that I can do my traditional thing for you. Global consciousness project dot. I'll give you the link in a second if you've never heard of this. The dot is orange. The dot is orange. So if the NSA is out there listening, just be aware that the dot is orange. It was red for quite a while, so when you go look at the uh, graph, if you've never seen this before, you'll see that it was been red for a while today. Um, I'm not sure exactly what each nuance of the dot uh, means. I don't know what it means exactly. There's a there's a, an, ex, an explanation on the side. It has something to do with um, statistics and traffic on the network. So I assume it means the entire like the World Wide Web or some vast data collection that tells what people are mostly looking at or whether they're you know, having stress of some kind. That's how I take it anyway. So when it's on the extremes, I figure something's happening. So as soon as I notice it's not in the green area, which is sort of in the middle, I go, the dot is right now orange, but sometimes the dot is blue. The dot is blue. Blue is on one extreme, red is on the other. Sometimes the data goes above or below the line, so it'll be like maybe purple instead of blue. And on the top, it might be towards the purple also because the red is mixing with, you know, the blue that would come around if you were making it into a circle, if that makes sense to you. So here is the dot. It's a global consciousness project dot. And when people say, you know, have you ever heard of the dot, they're usually talking about this. It's been around for a little while. It's someone's study, I think. But it's still interesting to me because when I check it, like before I go to bed at night, if I check it and it's red or blue or purple, dark purple because it's off the charts, I figure something is happening. So I'll say, something is happening. Then I try to go figure out what it is. Well, today something was happening that woke us up. I woke up mostly. Uh, My boyfriend, I think he could sleep through anything. But I woke up, it was just about dawn, and I heard fighter jets. And that's an unusual sound here in Bangor these days. But occasionally we do hear them, and there were a lot of them. So I woke up because it was very loud. um, And then I'd fall back asleep, and then there'd be some more. And it seemed to me that it was like for two hours we had fighter jets taking off. It may not have been that long, but 
I fell asleep two or three times and was awakened again by loud jets taking off. So, so I knew something was happening. So I'm like, something is happening. So I get up and I go downstairs and start looking around and I see that things are happening as usual. There's, um, you know, there are uh, different things going on over in the Middle East that have not been really reported in the news. But you'll see them if you read on the forums. It'll say, you know, like there was some bombing in Syria or there's something else going on or someone launched a missile or there's people that are flying around someplace they don't belong. So there's always something there. Well, anyway, that's what happened this morning. I don't know what it relates to, but tons of fighter jets were flying out this morning when the sun came up, just so you know. If they don't want people to know, they shouldn't put it right where it's blasting through someone's window. So that's the way it goes. Can't really hide something like that. All right, so that was one thing. And what else? Oh, the president sent a letter to Kim Jong-un. And you've probably heard about this by now, but just for the record, I'm going to tell you the words of it because the words are important. It's a first, what do you call that, a primary source straight from the horse's mouth, not digested through five different commentators on television, Um, but just from the horse's mouth, the person that sent the letter, primary source. That's what we need. We need lots of primary sources, and that's why we need our Facebooks to operate correctly so that we can share information, not just to pass around, hey, it's a nice day, or, you know, have another cup of coffee, or how tall are you, or you know, all the stuff that they put on there, but to actually be able to send information around that comes directly from people like me who just told you that there were fighter jets taking off this morning from Bangor. Primary source. I heard it myself. Okay, so here it says, Dear Mr. Chairman, we greatly appreciate your time, patience, and effort with respect to our recent negotiations and discussions relative to a summit long sought by both parties, which was scheduled to take place on June 12th in Singapore. We were informed that the meeting was requested by North Korea, but that to, that to us is totally irrelevant. I was very much looking forward to being there with you. Sadly, based on the tremendous anger and open hostility displayed in your most recent statement, I feel it is inappropriate at this time to have this long-planned meeting. Therefore, please let this letter serve to represent that the Singapore summit, for the good of both parties, but to the detriment of the world, will not take place. You talk about your nuclear capabilities, but ours are so massive and powerful that I pray to God that it will never have to be used. I felt a wonderful dialogue was building up between you and me, and ultimately it is only that dialogue that matters. Someday, I look very much forward to meeting you. In the meantime, I want to thank you for the release of the hostages who are now home with their families. That was a beautiful gesture and was very much appreciated. If you change your mind having to do with this most important summit, Please do not hesitate to call me or write. The world, and North Korea in particular, has lost a great opportunity for lasting peace and great prosperity and wealth. This missed opportunity is a truly sad moment in history. So, is that the best written letter you've ever heard or read in your life? Probably not. It's not very grammatical. It is like just a letter. But it does say one thing that I think is really important, and that is that you're not going to set the guidelines for what the United States does. You're not going to threaten the United States, and you're going to talk down to the United States and then expect to negotiate and have a summit where both parties are supposed to be heard and taken seriously. 
And I agree with that. I think it's a good idea because one thing that's happened in the last, I don't know, a few decades is that the United States has been too wishy-washy, has been too um, um, willing to just let things slide until sometime in the future because politicians didn't want to get their their hands dirty or have anybody uh, look at them sideways and say, what were you thinking of at that point? Because they're, all they think about is getting reelected, keeping their power and their, their funds coming in their direction. So I think it had to happen, and I think it was something that was pushed for, honestly. I think the Korean, um, North Korean government pushed for this to happen. Because what's the alternative? Always look at what the alternative is. The alternative is is that the summit took place anyway because it was scheduled, but the United States would be there under different circumstances because of the uh, mudslinging, basically the uh, attitude coming from the other side. And that's not that never works. It's either we're we're going to meet as equals and speak, or we're not doing it. I I agree with this. So. I, I'm sure that that letter's around different places. I read it off of a Facebook, so I can't really share that directly. Um, I'm going to close this out. Hi, Valium. I see you came in, too. Did you miss me ranting and raving about the dot? I put the dot up above, and I can't repeat the same links, but I put the dot up above, which is GCP dot gcpdot.com and it's the Global Consciousness Project and it, the dot is different colors throughout the day. Sometimes it's at extremes which are red or blue and sometimes it's in the middle which is green, mostly green. So, Anyway, that's the little synopsis. Bellam's usually on time so I figured she deserved to have a little catch-up time there. She's usually on time. Um, all right, so Let's see, what was the thing that, I have a few things that I think are more important than others. Where are my notes? I didn't have as much as I thought I was going to have because I skipped last week again. I think I didn't feel good last week. I don't know if we're getting more of the uh, zapping of the, um, whatever it is from space, the energy beams that we're getting from space, and yes, they're real. The Earth is reacting to it. Um I don't know if we're getting extra of that because we're where we live. We're at the, what is that, Dottie? I think it's the 45th parallel, isn't it? I think it's the 45th parallel where Maine is. So we're up at the top, up near the top of the earth, towards the top of the earth. So, um. Okay, so I told you about the Korean summit being canceled. And I forgot to go and look. I was going to go look and see Clapper on The View because I heard that James Clapper, when he was on The View talking, that he was very nervous and showed a lot of um, body language showing that he's under stress and pressure. So I I didn't get a chance to go look at it, but I will try to do that this week. And if you've seen it, and you have any comments about that, please put them in the chat so other people can see them. I heard people talking about it, and they said that he was basically all over the place making faces and everything. He was just, like, nervous. Nervous or had other things on his mind, one or the other. 
Um, the other night there was a group of legislators that were meeting to talk about uh, having another independent counsel or whatever you call it, another investigator. And so much is happening in this regard as far as um, investigating the DOJ and the FBI and all the things surrounding it that a lot of these stories are starting to jam together and it's hard to keep each thing straight. Um, it could be like one hour from when you read something, it could change. So right now there's a whole lot of um, uncertainty as to which direction things are going, but I am very interested in it, and I'm keeping track as much as I can, and I'm sure that you all are too. So I can kind of skip over that for now too. Um, in Maine in June, on June 12th to be specific, um, we will be having our primaries here in Maine, and one of the big uh, issues that's going to be voted on is the ranked choice voting. We have liberals here in the state that have been trying very hard to get this into place. Um, it passed in the election, in the um, referendum process where it was voted on. It passed to put ranked choice voting into the state of Maine. Then there were like objections to it because it's not constitutional, um, and the parties, I guess, for the primaries can set different rules than what the state actually has for elections. A judge, I think, decided that. Dottie probably knows more details about this because she follows these things really more carefully than I do. I tend to gloss over them and say, no, I'm not doing it, or yes, I'm doing it, or I'm going to spend time on this to bring awareness. Um, but the, if you haven't heard of it, ranked choice voting is a scheme, I call it a scheme, where if you have several candidates, you take the you have the percentages counted. You take the low the person getting the lowest percentage. You drop those people out, and then second choice would be divided up, and then third choice and so on, dropping out the low vote getter each time until you reach more than 50% for anybody. So you could have somebody at the beginning who has more votes than anyone else who could end up losing because in the subsequent counts, somebody else's votes count towards it. Um, I'm not in favor of it, and I'll tell you why. I think that it's ridiculous to do it. For one thing, it's going to cost a lot of money. The other thing that I don't like about it is that after the initial count, if 50% is not reached, then everything goes to Augusta to be counted again and again down there. I think it's something that is just asking for fraud to occur. I don't believe that counting of ballots or anything to do with elections should be in a centralized location in a state. I think that the people that are elected to do that job are putting their name on it, on the results, and signing it and certifying it that, that is the count, and that it's better to have that than to have anything in a centralized location. I don't think it's legal. I think I said that already. Um, and also that if somebody votes for the underdog and the second to the underdog, they could end up having their ballot exhausted, as they call it, which is that the people that they voted for are out of the race, so their ballot gets thrown out, it gets ejected. So the last, the last um, count may be a different number than the first count as to the total, so the percentages would be less, even though the percentage might be over 50%, the total number is less. So it's like, it's a disenfranchisement in a way, anyway. 
and I just I really don't like it. But that is something that we're going to be working on here is trying to get that question defeated. And um, for this election, this particular one, the Democrats have already decided that they're going to do it. The ballots are printed. People have already started voting in absentee ballots. The Republicans have decided they don't want to do it. They're, um, as far as I know, it hasn't been decided yet, but they did an appeal, and there's a judge that has it, and I'm not sure if the decision's been made yet. But this, this vote's taking place in June, the 12th. We don't have a whole lot of time left. Um, I had this out somewhere, and I'm going to see if I can find it now. Um, see if I can find it written, because it's ridiculous how difficult it is. Um, let's see. Main question one, June 2018. Let's see if I can find it on here. It says Wikipedia has it. So let's see if they have the wording. The wording is so difficult that even somebody who's really good at at, um, language would have trouble with it. Hmm. All right, I don't find it here. No, so Wikipedia is too generalized. Let's see. I had it everywhere. I had about five copies of this, and do you think that I kept one of them where I could see it? Okay, Bureau of Corporations, Elections, and Commissions. It should be here. Public comment. Um... Oh, here it is, finally. Is this really the way it's worded? That doesn't sound right. But it's on the official main page, so it must be it. Let's see if I can get this to come. Okay, question one. Do you want to reject the parts of a new law that would delay the use of ranked choice voting in the election of candidates for any state or federal office until 2022, and then retain the method only if the Constitution is amended by December 1, 2021, to allow ranked choice voting for candidates in state elections. That's the wording. I'm going to read it again, because in case you were talking or chatting or away from it, I'm going to read it again and see if you can make sense out of it. I read it several times, and I find it extremely confusing, and I am good at reading things. I don't have trouble with reading. I don't have trouble with language in any way, as you could tell. And I find it confusing. So I can only imagine how somebody who doesn't read all the time or doesn't, you know, or has maybe English as their second language would ever figure this out, what it means even. Okay, here's the question again. Number one, this is question one, Maine Citizens Guide to the Special Referendum Election, and I got it off the Maine, um, State of Maine page. Do you want to reject the parts of a new law that would delay the use of ranked choice voting in the election of candidates for any state or federal office until 2022, and then retain the method only if the Constitution is amended by December 1, 2021, to allow ranked choice voting for candidates in state elections. Now, the other thing about this is that we have um, one of the candidates is our Attorney General, Janet Mills. She um, 
is running, she's also having input on this. She's also having an opinion about this. And one of her BFFs, as I call it, is our Secretary of State, Matt Dunlap. He's the one that would have come up with this um, ballot question this way. They shouldn't have actually allowed it to be a referendum in the first place because it was not constitutional. But things have kind of slid through, as they usually do, and now it has to be dealt with. So most of the people that I know are just telling people, just vote no on it. It's a very confusing question, but if you don't want ranked choice voting, vote no. And um, because this is like a roundabout way to confuse people so that they'll think, well, sure, I'll vote for that. So we'll see how it goes. It's only a few weeks now, not long. Um, and there are also some uh, videos out that people have made that actually show the process in a simplified form so you could see how people's votes would get thrown out or how somebody who really hasn't got a majority or a, a definite majority could win still. So I call it how losers win, <laughs> how losers win. It's a way to manipulate the results. <clears throat> and they and I believe that's George Soros' money, too, that has come out with, you know, promoting all of this. Okay, thank you, Dottie. I figured you'd have something there about it. All right, so we'll see how that works out. Um, there's been some complaining about people using the clean election campaign money and the... Um, scandalous nature of saying, you know, there's not enough money for this and that, and then taking money when it's not necessary so they can run for office. Um, and that's just another aspect of the differences between people who think that there's an unlimited pot of money and it ought to all be given to Democrats so they can do good things for the world, and then those mean Republicans who have so much money they don't know what to do with it, who hate people and want to, you know, only take care of rich white men. Neither of those things are completely honest and true, but there's more of it on one side than the other, according to people on the other side. It's still a very partisan state. Things are so divided here, it's not even funny. Um, and like I said before, there's people up here who don't speak to people that formerly were very close to them. We're talking family, friends, coworkers that were very close that are no longer speaking because of the stuff going on in Maine. Um, and I think that it's, you know, like I say, a microcosm of the entire United States. Um, people probably don't talk to each other as much or have as much contact and proximity to people in charge as we do up here. And that's one of the reasons why I am interested in um, talking about our state and the issues because they're easier for me to find find the information on. It's not like if it would be if I lived in a bigger state with a huge population. Um, all right, so I'm going to stop with that. And, oh, Dottie says, ooh, RCV video removed. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. There's a couple of them. I've seen, I think I've seen two different ones. Of course, the ads that are running on television are telling everybody how much easier it is. It's so easy. Well, it's not easy because there's people that would think that if they only want one person, they should vote for them on every chance. In other words, first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth choice. I want the same person. If they do that, their ballot is ruined. If they put it in the wrong column, their ballot is is manipulated 
because I saw that, I think, from the Secretary of State's ad, which is like if somebody puts their first choice in the first column and then the second choice they skip for some reason, maybe their eyesight's bad or whatever. So their second choice they put in the third column. If there's nothing in the second column, they move it over. So they manipulate the ballot. See what I mean? Then the next one, if that is also blank, they throw out the ballot. This, I mean, it's, it's like so complicated that it's ridiculous, and it's going to cost millions of dollars to even try to do it, and it's not anything they can do for a regular, the normal election that will take place in November. They can't do it for that one. So they're going to do it for this one. They're trying to prove a point. They want to, you know, get their things started at least. And um, I don't know what they do if later on it's decided that they couldn't do it after it's already done and people are already elected or whatever as candidates. Then what do they do? But um, to manipulate a ballot because somebody signed it, you know, didn't do it right, to me that should be also illegal to change it. But that's what it says. It says they'll move them over. If it's one column, they'll move it over. If it's two columns, they'll throw it out. (laughs) Whatever. Somebody's going to make money off of these systems to be able to do that kind of complicated counting. And besides, like I say, if you're voting for somebody, why should you have to choose anybody else? Maybe you don't want anybody else. And if you don't choose anybody else and your first choice is thrown out, your whole ballot's thrown out, but they get more than one choice because they get to keep trying again until somebody wins. They get to have two or three or four votes in that case. If you look at it that way, they don't. They say, oh, no, it's only once. How is it only once? Your person didn't win, so now you get to have your second choice try. That one didn't win, you get to have your third choice try. Come on, people. That's more than one vote per person. Tell me I'm wrong. Maybe I did. Maybe I, you know, wasn't as good in math as I thought I was going to be. All right. Now I'm going to play um, a video of it, and you. I'm going to give you the link to this video so you can look at it later. But the sounds in it are pretty representative of what's going on, except for you can't see the uh, the people who are actually carrying sticks and bats and stuff. But this took place in uh, Maine this week and has been covered up, okay? But we have a um, new group that's been doing um, news stories and putting them on Facebook directly. So listen to this. Um, It's a video that someone took, um, so you're hearing the audio of it, and it is a group of Somali kids in Lewiston, which is the second largest city in Maine, even though a lot of people don't realize that. They think Bangor is, but Lewiston is. Um, and this is where uh Somali community was started. I think it was during, was it Angus King's or John Baldacci's administration? Dottie probably knows for sure. I, I'm thinking it was Angus King. So it was a while ago. And they were brought in, I believe, by Catholic Charities. And so we've had this Somali population that's been growing. You know, it's generational at this point. And this is what was occurring in Lewiston this past week. So I'm going to let you listen to this. Tell me if you can't hear it. I've got to get it open first. But tell me if you can't hear it, and I will boost it up some more. And then I'll give you the link afterwards. 
only one minute and a half. Okay, that was the uh, sounds of it. It, it. It's like not what we normally would have in Maine, okay? This is not something that would normally be happening in Maine. So this is what it says on this story. It was an otherwise pleasant evening in Maine when two dozen Somali youth swarmed and attacked two local residents in Kennedy Park last Thursday evening. Now, if somebody said this, just out in public somewhere, someone would say, well, what do you mean attack two local residents? They're all residents. Everybody's a resident of Lewiston. You're picking out these people as though they're outsiders when they're actually residents of Lewiston. It's that crazy up here, okay? It's that crazy right now. Um, So it should say Somali youth residents attacking, uh, you know, like, whatever the descriptor would be for the two other residents of Lewiston, and then it would be okay with them. They'd probably be mad, though, because they'd say, why did you say Somalis? Well, because Somalis don't, they're not assimilated into the population so that it's not noticeable. I mean, is it just because they're dark-skinned? I don't think so. It's because they're culturally very different, and they've put a lot of pressure onto the city of Lewiston for services and various things, okay? So here's, that's that's just the first sentence, okay? The Somali mob attacked around 7.45 p.m. just as the sun was setting on this historic city park in the heart of Maine's second largest city. A local mother recorded as a mob of teens and children, boys and girls as young as nine years old, brandishing wooden bats and other objects along with fists, feet, and sheer numbers to attack the two non-Somali defenders. At one point, you can even hear one of the hoodlums repeatedly daring the woman to stop me, bitch. I actually think it may have been a different S word, however, but they put stop me, bitch on here. So, Lewiston police tell Maine First Media one of the victims was taken to the hospital with minor injuries. However, no charges were filed. Lewiston Mayor Shane Bouchard says these types of incidents are common at Kennedy Park, but points to Lewiston's low crime rate. So, huh? (laughs) What? So they don't think this is a crime? It's common, but it's a low crime rate? How about they're not reporting it is probably why they can say they have a low crime rate. They're not reporting it. Because I certainly would call that a crime. 
And if you look at the video, you'll see it does look like a crime. These people are threatening. They have, you know, they're attacking somebody. They're mobbing somebody. They're screaming at them. And they're, you know, they're threatening. Kennedy Park is a large common space in the middle of some of the poorest census tracts in the Northeast, Mayor Bouchard said. When you have large, diverse groups of people in the same place, you're bound to have incidents. No kidding. You mean when people can't be civil and assimilate with each other, you know, coexist and assimilate with each other, that you're going to have incidents? You mean like forced integration in neighborhoods? What do I always say? You can't make people want to live with somebody else. You can't make them do it. They have to want to do it. Do you think that makes them want to do it, this kind of stuff? So I think that Shane Bouchard needs to have some reality talked into his head or something. He's he That doesn't even make sense. He's trying to protect himself, I think. Lewiston is no different in that respect than any other medium to large city, except that Lewiston's violent crime rate is one of the lowest in Maine, Sounds sort of like Obama's scandal-free presidency. Yeah, if you don't talk about anything and you never bring any attention to it and nobody gets uh, brought up on charges or anything, I guess you could say there isn't anything going on, right? Oh, close your eyes. While the mayor brings up Lewiston's violent crime statistics, it is important to note, in this case, the victim didn't press charges, meaning statistically there was no crime. Incidents like this often go unreported and are not reflected in the numbers, something even Mayor Bouchard has to admit. In this particular case, the person who was attacked declined to press charges. Therefore, under the law, there was no victim. Therefore, no crime, said Mayor Bouchard. So when there's a riot in a town or, like, say, all the concert goers at a concert downtown in Bangor decide to, like, throw, you know, Molotov cocktails and knock over cars and break windows and stuff, there's no crime because nobody complained or there's no victim. You know, I don't get how they can say that. This is at the very least disorderly conduct. It's, uh, you know, it's not something that should be allowed on the streets in the first place, whether or not anyone felt threatened or not. I think that they are trying to gloss it over so they can maybe keep funding or make things look good, sort of like the Parkland, Florida thing with the kids. Just don't report the juvenile crime and all of a sudden you've got more money because you're so successful, right? Witnesses at the park say the attack started when one of the victims asked one of the attackers to use a lighter for his cigarette. However, Lewiston police are reviewing the video and have not determined an official motivation for this gang assault. This is far from the first incident of Somalian attacks at Kennedy Park. Recently, a 10-year-old girl was jumped and beaten by a Somali girl at the park. As such occurrences become more common in Lewiston, many lifelong residents are now afraid to bring their own children to play. Some residents say police officers tell them the safest thing would be not to bring their kids to the park anymore. However, according to Lewiston Police Department Public Information Officer, Lieutenant David St. Pierre, that is not the department's stance. I am not aware of officers advising parents to refrain from bringing their children to the park, Lieutenant St. Pierre said. We at the Lewiston Police strive to make it a safe and enjoyable environment for all. Lieutenant St. Pierre tells Maine First Media officers make regular passes through the park to provide a police presence whenever possible. Meanwhile, Mayor Bouchard says in light of recent problems, the police department is adding more patrols to the park and they're taking another step as well. 
Our community resource officers are reaching out to the leaders in our new Mainer community, Mayor Bouchard said. While we are fighting a cultural barrier, outreach to these groups has been successful in the past, and we are hopeful we can make some progress. While repeatedly stressing this is not just an issue with the Somali community in Lewiston, the mayor does, not, does put at least a portion of the blame on the influx of immigration to the city over the past couple decades. While what we are seeing in our inner city right now is partially an issue of 20 years of terrible immigration policy, these issues were happening in Kennedy Park before the new Mainers arrived, Mayor Bouchard said. Reversing that long of a span of poorly done immigration is going to take time. On any given day, dozens if not hundreds of Somali youth can be found occupying Kennedy Park, and the violence is nothing new. Local residents bearing the brunt of these violent mobs are growing frustrated. Maine First Media was told it took police at least seven to eight minutes to arrive on the scene despite the police station being right across the street from the park. However, Lieutenant St. Pierre says they didn't receive a call until about 8.05 p.m. and officers were on the scene in two to three minutes. And while the station may be across the street, patrolling officers are out making rounds. <laughs> this is like, okay, they could be, he's giving some excuses. They could be near the Lisbon town line, Sabatis town line, Green town line, or currently responding to or at other calls for service. So he starts making a bunch of excuses, okay? Um, furthering frustration, some Lewiston parents say, They've been told that since many of the offenders are under 18 years of age, there's little officers can do. Lieutenant St. Pierre says that is not the case. Their age, if under 18, certainly presents various factors and hurdles, but problems are generally addressed in similar fashion as when we deal with adults. Um, and then they're talking about parenting and blah, 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 blah. Why is this always what happens? They Everything that's ever like this, when people complain, they start going into all these social reasons for everything. Look, it's a law. Just do that. You don't need any of the rest of it. We don't need any excuses. We don't want to hear about the parents. Um, and, and then down further, one of the places the mayor personally put a Somali immigrant with a history of hateful remarks and leftist political activism to work was on the Lewiston Library Board of Trustees where she'll have a say over what books the library houses and what cultural programs the library sponsors. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so instead of just saying, okay, we're taking all these kids down to the station, we're going to call the parents to come down and pick them up, we're going to read them the riot act, basically, your kid gets brought here again and this is what's going to happen, which they can do. No, they, they say, oh, it happens all the time. Well, the police didn't get there because they were out maybe at the far reaches of the city limits and now they've you know talking about the library board and <laughs> does anybody else see this it just makes me feel like come on just enforce the law we'll be all set okay so down at the bottom there's a few comments um and i'm sure there are people that are you know reading those and saying are you kidding me Oh, the one that I liked. Unbelievable. Instead of putting police at the park, they tell law-abiding citizens to stay away. What the heck? It's just nuts. It's nuts how people try to deal with this stuff, honestly. Okay, so let me just give you this. You can look at it later. See the demeanor of these people. And whether you think as they grow into adults, they're going to get any nicer, any more civil. 
doubt it, right? Right, let's see if that went in there. Oh, man, don't tell me I'm already going to have trouble here. All right, I just tried to put the link in there, and it won't let me. Oh, because I already did it. All right, I forgot about that. That's an aspect of this program. If you put a link in and you try to do it again, it won't let you. So, Okay, so let's see. Bellium says, where's John? Is seven John? Okay. I'm looking at the chat, so I'm not talking for a second. Bellium's made baked potatoes. Well, I remember when they first brought the uh, Somalis to Maine, there was a lot of talk about how much it was going to cost, and this was early on when when this um, you know bringing new new Mainers or new whatever immigrants into the United States, um, and I forget how many there were at the beginning. I do remember talking about it on here before though, because it was a big deal at the time, and then you didn't hear much of anything, and it was like okay, so they must be doing all right because some of the people were working in businesses and all these things, and now lately again because the subject has come up again. We're hearing more about how the Somalis are doing down in Lewiston. And apparently their children are not doing that great because they're acting like this. And they've been in school because I've had the conversation with people I know that live in Lewiston. And I am going to ask them about this. I'll probably put it in a private message rather than make it public, you know, like too obvious. But I am going to send it to my friend in a private message and ask what he says about this because there was a lot of criticism at the beginning of what uh, President Trump was doing with trying to stop people from coming from all these um, terrorist countries, to put it mildly, people that were harboring terrorists and um, sending them over. Um, if there was a lot of talk with my friend about this kind of thing, and they were like, you know, we have people, Somalis and Lewiston, they're all doing great. Well, I want to know what he has to say about this. Does he think that's doing great? Does he listen to the mayor and think that the mayor is right, that we could put somebody at the library and we can put somebody you know, out there to talk to the parents or whatever? This, is, this was a big group of kids, and they, you know, they're not getting younger every year. They're going towards adulthood with that kind of behavior. It's not going to be good in another five to ten years in Lewiston if they don't deal with this right now. You can't leave something like that. So we'll see. I'll let you know what he says because I'm sure he'll respond in some way, especially if I send it privately. We'll see what he says. Okay, so let's go back. I want to see what else I have in here, if it's anything else that's fairly important. Um, there was a... Well, the other two things that I thought were important, I don't think I have time to read them all. Darn it all. I'll see if I can shorten it up a little bit because I think it's really important because most of us in here that come to this show are baby boomers or older. And if there's anyone younger than baby boomers, by all means, just tell me, hey, I'm young and stop making me old like you guys. But most of us are baby boomers. We're either retired or we're near the age of retirement. And this is really, this thing that's come up, it, it actually has been kind of ruminating, you know, what do you call that, ruminating or 
it's been, I can't get my words tonight, bubbling in the background, you know, like it's just been, there's a word for that and I can't think of it. Ruminating doesn't really mean it. But it's been in the background. People have been talking about it a little bit here and there and probably writing up the laws and getting everything all ready so they could just suddenly spring it. That's the way I look at it. They're springing it on people now. So it's like a done deal. Okay, and you should just be happy because it sounds like such a nice thing. Here it's called the Senior Safe Act. And the article that I saw that really made my radar go up and also stuff's going on in Maine, um, it's federally and within the states. And it's been it came up quick, but you know that it wasn't. They've been working on it because it wouldn't be this well put together yet. And what they're doing is they're running around all of us, making decisions for us, telling us it's for our own good, and they're just going to take over. I mean, we need to say something. We need to make sure that we're vigilant about this, I believe, and I'll tell you why. Who are you going to trust, okay? Who are you going to trust, especially if you're on your own and you're older? You know, you don't have a lot of power when you get to be a certain age. You don't have a lot of power anymore because you're not really that useful to society. So, you know, they just show you the door. Well, this was in Forbes magazine, and it was published on, let's see, where's the date? May 8th. The title is called How the Senior Safe Act Could Curb Elder Financial Abuse. It was written by Roger Futon, or Futon, funny name, F-O-U-T-O-N, and I'll just try to skip over some of this because it's too it's too long, but you can look at it later and see what you think about this. Elder financial abuse is scamming some 5 million older Americans a year through cons like get-rich-quick schemes, get-rich schemes, and fake fundraising campaigns. Trusted family members, friends, caregivers, and financial advisors are often to blame, but unsolicited scams are also very common. With the problem escalating, lawmakers in Congress recently passed bipartisan legislation aimed at curbing it and protecting potential victims, known as the Senior Safe Act, okay, and it's clickable, so you can go from that link to the Senior Safe Act. The motivation is twofold. Lawmakers have a duty to protect their constituents, particularly the most vulnerable ones, and older people defrauded by these criminals often turn to Medicaid to cover medical costs, taxing an already broken system. So there's where you get to the reality of what they really care about, which is the money. It's the bottom line. It's like, uh, so now you're destitute, so now you have to go to Medicaid, right? But I wonder about even the first sentence of that paragraph. Lawmakers have a duty to protect their constituents. Why? See how we just accept? Why do they have a a duty to protect their constituents? They don't, for the most part, but why would they have a duty to do that? That's not their job. Their job is to enact laws that come before them. That's it. People that protect the constituents should be the people's family and the local law enforcement. That's about it. Or the sheriff or somebody. But why would the lawmakers have a duty to protect their constituents? They just take it upon themselves, and it's really because of the money. Um, 
In mid-March, as part of a bigger financial services overhaul package, the Senate passed the Senior Safe Act. So this happened in March. Following a similar move by the House of Representatives, the bills must now be reconciled in order to get to President Donald Trump's desk and become law. Subscribing to the idea that financial advisors can be the first line of defense in spotting signs of elder financial abuse, the Senior Safe Act would protect these pros from liability and violations of privacy if they alert authorities about potential fraud. Okay, now I'm going to stop again because I just want to say, of all the scams, the taking advantage of my financial picture, etc., that I've had, the banks have been the ones that have been the worst. I certainly don't want them being my uh, protector, but what are they going to say? I see they took out a large amount of money. Why is that their business? A bank should be taking care of your accounts as a bank. Here, You put a deposit in, you took money out, here's the records. That's it. What else do they have? They don't have a social obligation to do anything else other than keep the records and the accounting of that money, and that's it. This other stuff that they've decided to stick into banking is ridiculous. My gosh, they bought five gallons of gas this week instead of one. Something is wrong, right? Anyways, I don't I don't trust bankers, so I certainly as heck don't want them to be the ones to be reporting to somebody, reporting to authorities about potential fraud, okay, financial advisors, et cetera. Okay. It calls on the financial services industry to train staff so they can better spot elder abuse. Um I want to say something else about the financial services because there's usually money involved with them too. So they make money off from advising people. And they have a stake in the game because of that. Um, I don't know. I just find it a little off of what their responsibility is. But I understand that people have to have a way to to help people, but... To me, it's the wrong ones, okay? I don't know how you'd fix that, but I don't like this. So we need to keep an eye on it. That's my opinion on this. Keep an eye on it. See what you think, and let's figure out what we can do if there's anything. Because no one's asking us. They're going to decide for us because we're incompetent, basically. That's how it feels. Um, maybe AARP had a survey or something. I don't know. Um the idea is to create a standardized training program that could be implemented company-wide in order to in order to get the liability protection the financial advisory firm would have to administer the program. When announcing the introduction of the legislation in January 2017, so it's been over a year now, Senator Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, and Claire McCaskill, Democrat of Missouri, the chairman and former ranking member of the Senate Aging Committee, hailed it as a much-needed step in the fight against financial exploitation of seniors. Added McCaskill, we've got to give financial professionals the ability to combat fraud when they see it, while protecting the privacy of their customers. So if someone's being defrauded or there's something improper going on. Why can't the person whose advisor is advising them 
why can't that person make a complaint to authorities directly that they've been defrauded or something is wrong? Why can't their advisor tell them and then they can report that they have something going on that's wrong or fraud? Why do they need to have someone else observing and reporting? Who the only stake in the game for them is that their fees might not get paid or something. You see what I'm saying? There's different nuances to this. Okay, modeled on Maine's Senior Safe program. The bill was initiated by Representative Bruce Poliquin, Republican of Maine, and is based on the Senior Safe program in Maine, a collaborative effort between state regulators, financial firms, and legal organizations to educate banking and credit union workers on how to spot and help stop elder financial abuse. The Senior Safe program has resulted in hundreds of Maine financial services professionals being trained on identifying the signs of elder financial abuse. Studies have shown that older people who talk to a trusted third party about their finances reduce the likelihood of falling victim to financial fraud. The elderly are prime targets because many of them have money in bank accounts, and as they age, their cognitive skills tend to suffer, making it easy to scam them out of their cash. So... Who? Here's another thing. Who's going to decide whether your cognitive skills have um, gone down enough that you need to have someone be your protector or whether or not you're making a decision based on your own, your own uh, judgment? Who gets to decide? Because certainly every 70-year-old is not the same. Some are barely functioning and some are high functioning. I hope I'm going to be high functioning at 70, but we'll see. Um, Among the most common schemes are fake telemarketing ones. Scammers find it easy to sell elderly people fake products and services over the phone. The crooks also use the phone and email, pretending to be the Internal Revenue Service employees, scaring the elderly into paying back taxes they really don't owe. They tell victims their due refunds and give them links to click on. The unsuspecting victims end up handing over their logins and passwords, which the con artists then use to steal their identity and or open bank accounts in their names. So if this is happening, the only way that somebody would really be able to report any of that is if they were there to receive the phone call, I would think, unless they see a large amount of money coming out. But still, they'd have to trace where it went. I don't know how it would help to give away someone's autonomy over their own funds or to have somebody reporting on them to some other authority, how that would help with phone scams other than just educating people not to do anything over the phone. Um, While unsolicited scams by professional crooks targeting the elderly are common, so are scams perpetuated by, I mean perpetrated by so-called loved ones, friends, and caregivers. A 2011 MetLife study found that white females between 70 and 89 were the most likely victims, often because they had cognitive impairment and were isolated. The scams range from theft of property or money to elaborate cons where assets are rerouted to the so-called trusted friend or advisor without the victim's knowledge. I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, I know of cases where family members were dishonest and took people when they shouldn't have. I know people who've had family members who on the very day that someone dies, somebody goes over to the house and takes things out of it. Um, 
these are things that happen in families. But I'm not sure how giving this um, authority or privilege or whatever you want to call it to someone outside the family is better because it's not their job. I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's not their job. It's not their job to be reporting on people. Wouldn't you think that eventually what would happen is that people won't want to have anyone even know what they're doing? They would, instead of going to advisors, they'd decide not to have advisors at all rather than have them take over. I don't know why this was seen as such a great idea. I think that there was some other motivation. I guess that makes me seem suspicious, but I kind of am because I've seen some of this stuff happening and I'm like, what the heck? If they want our control of our lives from cradle to grave, they're certainly working hard on this part. While proponents of the Senior Safe Act concede the legislation won't end elder financial abuse, they believe it, as well as the 2017 Elder Justice Prevention and Prosecution Act and new standards from the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, FINRA, F-I-N-R-A, they love their acronyms, could go a long way in helping stop the abuse or reducing its severity. Well... If they want that, you know what they could do? They could just take everybody's, <laughs> take everyone's accounts and uh, put them all under the Department of the Treasury or something and have you ask them if you can have $10. And that way they'll know for sure that you took the $10 and then they'll ask you what you want to spend it on. And you'll say, none of your damn business. And they'll say, well, we have to know because we need to know if it's to pay somebody who's scamming you or if you're just going to buy bread and milk and stuff. All right. So that's my that's my rant and rave about the Senior Safe Act. When you think about it, it's gotten pretty far without most of uh, the people our age even hearing about it. But I'm sure Dottie probably has because she watches everything. She sees everything that's happening. Um, so here it is. This was from uh, Forbes magazine. Um, I'm looking at, oh yeah, the long-term care curtain. Is that the one where they're talking about um, people being cared for in their homes, Dottie? Yeah, she Dottie, Dottie put in the chat, I've contacted Collins about frauds, elder abuse, and other crimes. She's done nothing. Yeah, I believe that. But she'd probably say if you wrote her that letter today, she'd say, well, look, at, I've done this, which is the Senior Safe Act. You know, what do you want, Dottie? Just give me your checkbook, and I'll make sure that I that you don't write any checks to anybody you shouldn't. Ugh. Oy vey. Okay, so I think that it is true, follow the money is true in most cases when you look at how um, how people try to explain the abnormalities in any given situation. The money is usually at the root of it. It's how somebody's going to get your money away from you. And that can be family members. It can be, you know, uh, business dealings with people such as what I did, which was stupid. 
I still say it was pretty stupid. I worked for somebody for eight years that was a friend of mine, and I helped with the business. I helped financially with the business somewhat. And guess what? Now they've moved to Florida. I said, oh, good. So now they've left the state. And, you know, I I have pretty much accepted that I'm not going to see the money again. I kind of get that. But we're talking about somebody who lives pretty high, or seems to, and has no no conscience about the fact that they use somebody else's money. And so it's like, what, whatever. You know, at some point it's like, okay, was I dumb? I guess I was. I was pretty dumb because I believed it. So what would I do? So what? how would I show this in this Senior Safe Act thing? Of course, I wouldn't consider myself too much of a senior like 15 years ago, but I am now, but... I wasn't then. And I could afford to do it, so I did do it. It was my own decision. But when I think about how, you know, you could look at something like this and think, okay, so if a person is in financial hardship and they borrow money from somebody who's old, is that abuse? It could be. Depends on whether or not they're going to ever pay it back, I guess, and whether or not the older person can afford to do it. Because these things happen all the time, especially in times of economic stress where people can't do the normal thing, like go to a bank and take a loan out like they used to. And, you know, we've many of us here have have lived it, so we know. Things have, are different. In the old days, you could walk in the bank, they knew you, they'd seen you for 40 years, they knew you. So you'd say, I need to borrow $5,000. They'd say, okay, here's your Here's your note. It was that easy, and trying to explain that to younger people, they don't get it. They say, huh, that can't be right. It is right. It is how it was. And now you can't, you know, you can barely get a $500 credit card because the interest on it is like almost 30%. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? It's Things have gotten way out of control so that now you have everything upside down and people are having to borrow money from relatives and do other things just to survive. And the like Dottie's talking about their you know, representatives and stuff. They stand up and they make everything sound so nice. I mean, how could you be against the Senior Safe Act? How could you just be against something like that? And of course, you know, once you get to a certain age when you're 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 above working age or whatever and you're no longer that um, useful to the society and they and the younger people saying such things as that the baby boomers are robbing them blind. Hello? Are you kidding? The baby boomers are robbing the younger generation blind? We've worked since we were kids. We didn't have the, uh, you know, safe spaces and coloring books and stuff to keep us from being upset. We were basically out there working to support ourselves pretty young and taking the hard knocks and doing everything else. And we had to pay that money in. We didn't have a choice. We had to pay that money in for our retirement later on. Social Security is not something that we were given as a gift from the government. We paid for it. It's our money. Now, they may have done things since then, and maybe the younger generation is going to have to accept the fact that Social Security is a gift to them because they didn't pay in as much as they need to collect out of it. But baby boomers did pay in that much. <laughs> we paid in that much. So, yeah, we need our money. 
we need our money to live on, and it was promised to us, and you can't take away that promise because if you do, it's fraud. You promised something, you didn't deliver it. So you can either give us a lump sum and say, okay, we're not doing it anymore. Here's your lump sum of what you paid in, or you pay what you said you're going to pay, and you shut your mouth about it, and you don't complain. So, And, yes, I did hear that again this week about how the baby boomers were robbing the younger people blind. You're kidding me, right? You're kidding me. <laughs> how are we robbing them? Because the rent's higher? The rent's higher because the oil's higher or the electricity is higher, or the taxes are higher, because they're giving money away like they have it, like the bottomless pot of money at the government, and they want theirs. Not to earn it, but just collect it. And it's like there's a disconnect as to how that pot got full. And then you could just see their heads spin when you tell them that a Federal Reserve note isn't really worth what it says it is. It's worth nothing. It's a piece of paper with some ink on it, <laughs> and they don't get it. They think you're crazy. So I don't know what you, I don't know what the final thought is on all of this. I don't know what people are going to end up doing. As for me, I'm just backing off a little bit because what are we going to do? We can't tell them what they want. They know what they want. The younger people, I'm saying, they know what they want. They know the world they want. They're headed in that direction. They were brainwashed. And what are we supposed to do? We tell them what it is. We write down what we can, leave it where they can find it, and they're just going to have to learn it the hard way, I guess. They're going to have to learn it the hard way. I hope the heck they don't have to get to the point where they have to have a whole other revolution again. All the fighting, all the things that were done to make sure that they were in a good place and they've turned around and bit the people that did it. In a way, I'm kind of glad my dad passed away because those World War II vets, they don't want to hear that stuff. They would—they don't want to hear somebody say, I don't care about the stupid United States. This is a one world now. This is, you know, the earth. And they don't need to hear that stuff when they've seen people blown up right in front of them. And actually other vets too, but I'm just saying the older ones felt it more because they had a different life then. They were quite different than the, than our generation who saw some atrocities, but our lives were different too. We spent our whole life under the threat of a nuclear war. Of course we were going to be strange. Of course we were going to think it was worth it to party. We didn't know if we were going to be there the next day. They scared us and traumatized us when we were kids. And so the next generation, what did we do? We wanted to make sure they were never that scared and that things were taken care of, and we did that, and now they're spoiled. Very, very weird. I've been doing a lot of reading on this stuff, so I've had a lot of chance to think about it and what happened. Like, you know, it... I think the reason I see it is because I worked with all those kids for so much time. I mean, hundreds, probably thousands of kids that I knew because I worked with them. And they were good kids. Good kids, very motivated, ambitious, studied hard, wanted to get good grades, go to college and all that stuff because that was supposed to be the best thing to do. And responsible. 
and how they grew up to get the attitudes they have now is just a stunning thing to me because it's like they had a complete personality change. So I've thought a lot about it. I've tried to figure out what it was that caused this. And it's the it is the brainwashing. They had it they had the little seeds of all this stuff way back when they were babies and it just kept developing and developing. And because we're baby boomers, we were different. I'm speaking for myself mostly. If you can relate good, but <laughs> um we didn't see the world the same way. So we didn't see those signs as quickly. It's easier to look back on it and say, oh my God, they were building that since way back when. They were building that even when we were kids, but it was still just little seeds of it through here and there. And then later on, it just kind of, it was there already formed. So it's kind of a shock. It's like, oh my God, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't want the United States anymore? You want the world government. My gosh, all we did. Remember all the little UNICEF things? Take your little box out and collect money for UNICEF for Halloween and all the cool things, the United Nations and the Peace Corps. And it was so good. Everybody's going to get along and be friends and all these different cultures and how great it is. And My God. It's all come together. We're here. So, I don't know thinking that some of it's just got to resolve itself through whatever means, whatever they want to do about it. If they don't want to do anything about it, stick the chip in their arm or whatever they're going to do and make it easy to go buy their beer. Okay, let's see. Follow the money in the black mail, Jameskin says. Um... Dottie says, it disgusts me to hear reps talking a good piece when I know otherwise. Yeah, me too. I don't like it when people pretend something. Family banking is the solution if families talk to each other, Desert Pete says. That would be a great idea. It was kind of like what I was working on myself until things fell apart. But not really family banking, but maybe in an informal way, which is that you know certain things that were difficult to do that people would do it together and and take care of it but there there's this this thing now it's like just like what we knew we were told was going to happen at the end which is that money is like the be all and end all of living and the bigger number you have at the end of your you know on your bank account the better you are which isn't really true but you know most of us could live on you know pretty pretty well on a modest income. We don't feel that we need to be wealthy. In fact, I would find it anxiety-producing at this point. I would rather be just comfortable. I don't need to have a lot of money. Because then you got to protect it from all these people that are trying to get it. And they are. <laughs> They've gotten a lot of mine, I'll tell you. So, you know, food, clothing, and shelter, those are our necessities of life and the rest of it is just to make it more comfortable otherwise we're just taking care of like you know stock animals or something they get a barn and some food every day and that's how they think of us anyway you know that sounds bleak doesn't it i think it's an acceptance more than it is 
bleakness. It's an acceptance of it. I don't care to really hang out with those people or even know them. I'd like to kick them in the shins and make them wake up, but we're not allowed to kick people in the shins anymore either. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to see if um, anybody has anything in here that I've missed. I probably have. Okay. Um, They hate families, yeah. They like their own family, though. They hate their family, but they also like their family because it gives them status. They want their advantages for themselves. That's what they want, you know, and the heck with everybody else. Or they look at you like, what are you complaining about? If you were as smart as me, you'd be where I am. Heather Soraki was given many documents. She was going to go to the FBI. She won't even respond or talk to me now. She's not what she's cracked up to be. Um, and Dottie asks if James can knows Heather. I just know some people from online. I don't know them in real life, but I do have some of the politicians in Maine. Um, that I follow a little bit because I need to know what's going on. And, and God forbid anybody, anyone who's my official representative would talk to me. They don't. And it's just as well because I don't like them. So <clears throat> let's see. Um, yeah, Desert Pete. Baby boomers built the infrastructure for millennials to flush the toilets. It's true. They don't, I mean, I don't know what they think. Maybe they got that message from Obama, you know, you didn't build that. You didn't build that. Well, you know, your mom and dad probably say, you didn't form yourself. You didn't form yourself. Because still, no matter what they want to think, they arrived on the earth in the usual way. And um, they wouldn't be here without their parents. So it intergenerational or multi-generational wars aren't very good. They're not going to help the society in any way. They're not going to find anyone that cares as much about them as their own family does. And, it, you know, it's sad when it breaks down and they don't want to talk anymore or whatever, but they're not going to find anyone that cares as much. They might find some people, if they have abusive families, it's a different story, but in general, people want their own family to do well. In general, people that are healthy, that's what they want. They don't want to be worried about five people down the street or somebody from another country first. They want to worry about their own family first and then branch out from there. Healthy roots, healthy groups, and then branch out from there. Whatever is extra, whatever you want to do to make things nice, you cooperate with other groups, whatever it is, but you don't walk all over your closest, stomp them down, and bring in somebody else. (laughs) consider that to be strong it's not going to be that you know that's like a communist model anyways just everybody everybody's the same we know we're not we're not even the same in here there's not that many of us in here tonight we're not the same we might have some common beliefs but we don't even have completely common beliefs we we don't agree on every single thing but we get along all right 
We care about each other. So I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, I've had some interesting philosophical conversations with people lately, too, which I've liked. I really enjoy that. I like to know what other people think. Um, Dottie knows the people in real life. Yes, she does. Yeah, we all, like Jane Skin and Dottie, saying how they watch everything. Yeah, I do too. I try to watch what's going on in different people's states because they're showing a trend. And the trend is um, what's planned for the United States or for the world. Um, I think for the world, because I think all these things are tied into UN Agenda 2030. And I keep saying I'm going to get back into that, but I haven't yet. But I think everything is in there. It's like a blueprint for what they want to achieve. And so they're going to keep working on it until they get each of those objectives met. And if it doesn't work this time, they'll wait a few years and try again. And that they won't ever stop because that's their plan. That's what they want. And um, when things really look weird and look bleak here or there, anywhere, any state, any city, really any politicians too, you can look at that and you can see that that's what they're operating under. They're doing it kind of under the radar for most people, but that's what they're operating under. They have the ideas of how the city should run, how the government should run, what you're allowed to do in your own home, what you're allowed to do on your street or anything else. And... um, I don't know, maybe maybe uniform things for the entire world would make it easier for some people. All I see is control, and I don't like it. Maybe that makes things easier, especially when you have stupid people that, you know, need management, are so dumb that they need somebody to spy on their finances and report to somebody about it. Maybe that's what's happened, is people are so stupid they need to have a babysitter all the time mommy and daddy when they're you know 60 and 70 years old they need somebody to be their mommy and daddy so crazy i don't know if you heard but um there was a case where some parents were trying to get rid of their 30 year old and i guess the judge finally said yes you can get rid of him so he's got his eviction notice and that's been a story in the news lately too i'm wondering how many people are going to take offense about that because there's a lot of um, adult children that are living in their parents' home because the economy has made that happen. It's not necessarily because they want to. This guy, I think he's just like getting a getting a free ride or something. But I I know adults that live with their parents and they're not not really doing it because it's their favorite thing. They've just found a way to work together and do that because of the economy. So. My um, my mother's family, when she was growing up, they, you know, of course, they lived during the Depression and things were very bad. Um, and they, she was from a large family. My grandmother never would have thought anything about having one of them living there. 
if they needed to. She had a great big house, and she did have some of them that had to come back for a while and then go and leave again. It was just temporary to get back on their feet. So that is what happens in a normal family when um, the economy's bad. The difference is that back then, the people that were back that were adults didn't just sit home. They worked and took care of their families and just basically slept there. So they'd have a place to, you know, sleep at night. So, um, so Dottie is saying, did you read about Governor Candidate Diane Russell's financial disclosures? Um, maybe she's asking James Ken that. Um, I did. I read a little bit about it, but I already knew she was doing that kind of stuff. So I've kind of glossed over anything about her. I don't think she has any chance in, in heck of being governor, so I don't really care what she's doing. She's a bit of a clown in my eyes, just foolish, you know. Every time I see her, she's doing something foolish, and I'm thinking, she thinks she's going to be governor. That's really almost like comedy routine from Saturday Night Live. <clears throat> so I'm sure there'll be more about all this stuff as time goes by because we're going to be having big battles in Maine again. Our governor is going to be leaving office because he's at the end of his term, and it's just uh, it's nerve-wracking at the moment because I can't even imagine going back to how things were. We finally had some things start to straighten themselves out, and then we're going to have to, you know, keep our eyes peeled, as we call it, keep our eyes peeled on what's going on. Okay. Okay, got down through that stuff in my notebook. Let's see what else I have here because I'm rambling again. All right, I highlighted in yellow the things I thought were the most important. I have a recipe for strawberry rhubarb crunch that I found on Facebook. Somebody had posted. So I'm all set. If anybody wants that recipe, let me know. My email is gingercookie87 at yahoo.com. We're almost to uh, rhubarb season here. We've got it coming up really fast, and it'll be good pretty soon. And then we'll have strawberries, and we'll have both at the same time. So a lot of people make strawberry rhubarb pie, and this is a strawberry rhubarb crunch, which looks like it's um, maybe like a apple crisp or something like that or a cobbler type thing. I think it's going to be good. I'm going to try it. Um, let's see, what else? Schumann Resonance has been really wild lately. Um, I don't know if anyone's been following this, but if you're not familiar, the Schumann Resonance is the vibration that the Earth is um, has going all the time. It's the frequency of the Earth. And it is usually fairly stable, but lately it's been spiking. And there's a website that I check every once in a while to see, especially if I'm feeling weird. And what I call like goosebumpy without being cold, it's like I feel like my body is like totally enervated. You know, everything is just like buzzing. And I don't take drugs, so I know it's not that. Um, I will go and look, and a lot of times there'll be like complete white where it's keeping track of the the resonance or what they call a frequency. 
um, it's keeping track, and it's like something is buzzing us. So what the heck is it? I don't know. Is the sun doing it? But it's not regular. It's like we'll get a beam and just don't go to the grocery store and start telling people about things like this. They'll think you're totally nuts. But scientists are keeping track of this, and this is a site that seems to have good up-to-date information. Um, at least the chart is. It's written. It looks like it's written in Russian, so you can't really read it. But you can see the spiking. You can see what hour and day. And um, so if you're feeling a little bit like you've been zapped or cooked or whatever, I, I don't even know what to call it. It feels like you're getting microwaved or something. It's like, um, that might be the reason. And what I do when I'm feeling like that and it's uncomfortable, I will go outside and stand on the ground in my bare feet, which is supposedly a grounding thing you can do that will help to put your body in sync with with that, with that um, Schumann resonance effect. We're supposed to be one with the earth. We're part of the earth. So... I'm going to put a little note here so you can see it if you go and look it up later. Um, I haven't checked lately to see if ChatGrabber is still available, but if it is, you can go to chatgrabber.com and you can get the, ta the um, chat. You just have to put the call ID, which is 94426, and then the episode that you want, which is 305 tonight. Okay, have you guys thought I've gone off the deep end now because I was talking about that Schumann resonance? Oh, what did I do? Closed my chat. Ugh. Yep, I do think I did. Okay, I've got to go out and come back in because I closed my chat by mistake. Okay, it says sign in. Hopefully you can still hear me because I'm on the phone. If you can, I'll be back in a minute as soon as I figure it out. I'm going to sign back in and see if that's all I need to do. Run flash. how I used to teach kids, too. I just talk in their ear all the time. That's why I talk so much. Uh, it says I have six participants. Start my call, which I already did. if you're here. Okay, I'm here. I'm on the phone. So the recording has started. Oh. So I lost everything else I had on there, but that's okay. I don't know what happened. Got clicking around. You know how that goes. Okay, so the other thing was uh, um, because I save a lot of stuff. Like I said, I save stuff on narcissism, diet, um, health, earthquakes, obviously the Schumann resonance, the global consciousness dot, QAnon. I like to read the Q posts and see if I can figure out what's happening. So I'm interested in all kinds of stuff, okay? So I've got tons of links to things. So if you're interested in anything particular, 
just don't hesitate to send me an email. I don't mind getting them. It's gingercookie87 at yahoo.com. And just tell me what you're interested in. And if I have any good stuff, I'll tell you or I'll send you a link or whatever. Okay? That sounds good to me, right? Sounds good to you, I hope. Okay, so the last thing that I want to talk about is this cool story I saw. It went around, um, probably friends of mine or somebody posted about this. I didn't see it in our paper up here, but I'm not really reading that that much anymore because they want to charge money. And I don't think I should have to pay for liberal crap. <laughs> trying to be blunt and honest, but to be told the, you know how to think and that I'm bad and Trump is an idiot and everything else, I don't think I should have to pay for that just to get a little bit of really bad news because they don't even bother anymore. They just copy and paste. It's like a stupid. It's not good like it used to be. So I won't pay for it. So this one I must have seen from a friend. And it was a story about this man in South Portland. And I loved this. This is like a human interest story. It has nothing to do with politics really. But it's just a cool story. Um, and it was posted on um, the Press Herald, which is Portland newspaper. And it was posted on May 13th and updated on the 14th. And the title is, Maine Man Learns the Truth of His Past. None Stole Him as a Baby from His Mother in Ireland. So this was like one of those really cool things that happens occasionally where you just go, oh, that's awesome. You know, he found his family. And it says, um, Kevin Battle of South Portland always knew he was adopted. Only recently, as the clues emerged about his mysterious birth, did he learn the truth. And there's a picture of him. And it says, Kevin Battle was a baby when church officials raided his family home in Ireland and plucked him from the arms of his mother, an unmarried 24-year-old who had run away from the convent where she and hundreds of other Irish girls were sent to give birth to secret children. After raising the boy she named William for more than a year, his mother couldn't bear to give him up, so she grabbed her chubby-cheeked boy and escaped home to her family in County Limerick. But the nuns had plans for the boy, so they tracked down the mother and child and forcefully reclaimed him. Within weeks of seizing the baby, the Catholic Church sold him to an Irish couple in New York, grieving the death of their own infant. The price? A $1,000 donation to the church. Records show that the convent, Sean Ross Abbey, secretly exported 438 children like battle to America. I just love this kind of thing. I hope you guys do, too. I saved this because I thought you might like it. Yet Battle, a retired South Portland police officer who works as a harbor master and state legislator, grew up knowing none of this. He'd always known he was adopted. He'd searched for his mother following the paper trail to Ireland in 1978, but the nuns there told him she was dead. I thought I was an orphan, that she hadn't wanted me, and I'd never know why. But they lied, he said. She did want me. The church stole me from her, like they did to a lot of unwed mothers, and they sold me. And years later, when I came asking, they lied and slammed the door in my face. It was a DNA kit that his wife gave him for Christmas that revealed a living first cousin one month ago. After decades of searching, Battle, who is 59, is finally learning the long-buried secrets of that dramatic beginning. He traveled to Wales this month to learn the rest of the story. He met four of his five half-brothers and sisters, sat in his mother's favorite spot in her favorite pub, and visited her grave. 
He cried when he counted six yellow flowers carved on her gravestone, one for each of her children, including him. His mother had not seen him in 57 years, but she had not forgotten him. In the faces of his birth family, Battle found a familiarity that had eluded him. The similarity of the eyes, the beefy build, the quick, broad smile. He toured one brother's job sites, ate dinner with the cousin, and poured over family photos with his sisters Tina and Tanya. He immersed himself in their everyday lives. Maybe this is the closure I need, he said. I get into things, I join things, but I never truly feel like I'm part of it. I always feel like I'm on the fringe, left out. Even being a cop, a fireman, yeah, I'm there, but I'm not. Maybe that's part of my not having my own family roots. Maybe this will change a little of that. And then it goes into telling all of the different backgrounds of the the, Ireland, the uh, Catholic Church in, in Ireland and all this stuff. So there's a whole lot of that. And it says um, the main Irish Heritage Center in Portland, which has a genealogy division that helps Mainers trace their Irish lineage, had worked with other adoptees but never a Sean Ross Abbey baby, said Deb Sullivan Jellerson, a volunteer genealogist. Unfortunately, falsified records are common, she said. Sometimes the girls or their families use fake names, while other times the nuns would falsify records themselves. So the public shame of giving birth out of wedlock wouldn't follow them through their lives, she said. Unwed mothers were hidden, forced to give up their children, and told to forget. And there's a picture of him with his half-brothers. Um, like Battle's mother, many of the unwed mothers took their secrets to the grave, Jellerson said. Um, and then there's some more about it. It's it's fairly lengthy in a lot of details, which I really like. Um <clears throat> It's, he's talking about a red ball that he had. It was the first thing he remembered when he came to America, and he still has it. It had um, his adopted name and the date of his adoption. And it has um, a picture of his mother's stone. He grew up in Long Island and New Jersey. He had a happy childhood. He loved his mother, who stayed at home to raise him, and a younger sister. His father was a pugnacious cabinet maker with a quick temper who struggled with alcoholism, but he loved battle in his own way. Both are now dead. They didn't know how their son had come to live in the orphanage. His father said he didn't think it was right that he had to make such a big donation to the church to adopt the baby. That was in addition to regular adoption fees, but he never suspected the church of human trafficking, Battle recalls. And it tells about how he started looking for his mother. Um, there's a lot of detail there, too. <clears throat> and how he went and to ask questions in person and was lied to. Um it said his mother had been looking for him, too. His half-siblings told him they had learned about him in 2009 on the day they buried their mother. Their father told them their mother couldn't bear to share her secret while she was alive, but wanted him to tell them when she died in case he ever came looking for her. So they had all looked for him. And there's just, you know, it's a nice long story. There's tons more to it. And the pictures were cool, too. So kind of neat. Human interest story, 
something that connects Maine to Ireland, there's a lot of connections because we have a lot of Irish people here. I think it's how we ended up growing potatoes because we had the big salmon that came over and uh, started in started in growing them in Maine. At least that's what I've heard. Okay, so I guess I should ask if Desert Pete's going to call in tonight if there's anything going on out there that's things for now, for life in general, things that are happening. It's happening, everybody. Let's see what's Okay, I'll wait for you. Meanwhile, I'm going to go see what color the dot is so I can tell you guys. The dot is green. The dot is green. I always say when it's green, everything's good because it's just kind of average. It's in the middle, no extreme. <coughs> and there's nothing new on the QAnon dot pub site right now either. Sometimes right after I get off this show or it's really late and I'm ready to go to bed, there'll be a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, I, should I read it now and then I'll wonder about it while I'm trying to go to sleep? Or should I wait until the morning? And I go, who am I kidding? i got to read it now because I need to know what's happening. So, so here's Desert Pete. Uh, if it will unmute, come on. It won't unmute. Click there. Hi, Desert Pete. Yeah, good evening. Good evening. Let me uh, hit some buttons here so I can turn the air conditioner off so I can hear you. <laughs> oh, it's been hot in some parts of the country today. It was cool here. It was, well, 60s. It's a little bit cool. It's supposed to be hot tomorrow, like 86. Yeah, we're we're settling in mid-90s. It's about wow. every day now. So. Wow. Anyhow... Uh, let's see. I guess the first link I'll I'll put up right now. It's already typed it in. I can't type and talk at the same time. All right. Uh, that uh, guy he calls the site Blackstone Intelligent Blackstone Intelligence Network. Hmm. Uh, his name is Jake Morphonius. Uh, he's been doing a series of uh, of stuff. Well, ever since the Las Vegas shooting. And I could best summarize most of his stuff has been like conspiracy light uh, stuff you would get from, oh, Coast to Coast AM or Alex Jones. And he wasn't yeah. really getting into any gritty stuff until this episode. And this episode is one of the best ones I've seen on the uh, the Zionist crimes uh, throughout uh our, our whole government here. Uh, he goes into the Bronfman, Bronfman family and exposes a few things I never knew. Uh, old man Bronfman has a couple of spoiled brat daughters that have dumped $100 million into a sex cult because they have nothing better to do with their money. Uh, and he digs into some stuff I had never heard before and then goes into uh, uh, their, their their ties to the Zionist movement and, and New World Order. Oh, the, the Illuminati kind of back room 
child sacrificing garbage and and whatnot. Wow. So uh, anyway, that's a powerful thing, and I'm astounded that it's still up on YouTube. Uh, with with everything now, he he knew that he didn't dare use the word Jew. So throughout this entire hour long report, uh, he used the word bleepish. <laughs> Really? Which, which gets kind of funny at times, but uh, but just that funny little stunt, I guess it it's still up there uh, because of that. So I I don't know. Anyway, that that's a recommended video. Um, also, I don't have the link handy, but uh, the uh, the guy from Sweden, conservative fellow from Sweden, believe it or not. Uh, did a uh, an hour long commentary on the grand opening of the US embassy in uh in Jerusalem and he pointed out a lot an awful lot of insightful things of uh Jewish infiltration into uh just running our own government and what steps led up to uh to moving the embassy over there and that was in for uh quite informative uh uh, Red Ice TV gets you to. Uh, uh, I used to, to see those, and I haven't even heard that name in quite a while. I guess. Yeah. I run across it. Uh, he's got a last name. I it, it's not it's not a common last name. Eric something or other. Um, I have to look it up. But uh, uh, the, the guy has a real good. Uh, narrator uh type type articulate voice and he does great talk shows and he's got a conservative lean on uh on everything and coming out of Sweden Sweden that's that's pretty surprising but uh but he's r- very well read and very well educated on uh on all the conspiracies going on around the world uh, he's been unrightfully branded as being a white supremacist when in reality he's just pointing out let's stop racism against anybody and let's say, admit that uh, whites can bleed as bad as anybody when they're hit. So uh, uh, that that simple, simply, the idea of simply showing any sympathy to white people got him branded as a white supremacist, which is certainly not the case at all. So... Uh, Everybody's liking to do a lot of name calling lately. I notice. I'm getting kind of tired of it myself. Oh, it is. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. I don't know if you heard of the uh, that uh, that Christian couple that were ordered to bake a cake for a gay marriage. Yes, I remember. Uh, and did you hear that? That uh, another court uh, took took it on appeal and overturned uh, the whole case and made the gay couple pay for all the attorney fees up to that point. I saw something about it. I didn't read the entire thing, but I did see something about it. Yeah. Yeah, 400,000 some dollars. Uh it serves them right. That that's that's outrageous and stupid. Uh homosexuality is a mental derangement. Uh it is a mental handicap. Nobody should hate them for their handicap. Uh I don't I'm not a leader of any hate group. But it is a mental handicap, a mental handicap that promotes diseases. And if you are so stupid as to not know where your genitals belong, 
then you have no right turning it into a political movement. That is insanity. And to uh, for Hillary Clinton to claim this movement of insanity as her political base just shows how insane she is. And the whole LGBTQ movement is, is, is totally insane right to the core. They promote diseases. They promote destruction of their own people. They are not supporting human rights. They are out to destroy everybody. And uh, finally, we had one judge in court who woke up to that and stated it as such and uh, turned the case around. And these, these insane people who want to take a mental handicap and turn it into a political movement need to get put in the right place and realize, no, keep your, your bad habits to yourself. You don't force them on other people through a political movement. So enough on, on that issue. But, uh, uh, yeah, we, we've just seen quite a few things happening this week. Uh, let me try to go to my list here. My um, my take on that whole thing with the cake, and I said it at the time too, is that I think that when you have contracted services, which is what that is, it's a contracted service, that it has to be agreeable to both parties for whatever their reasons are. They can say yes or no to it, because otherwise it's servitude. How do you force somebody to do something that they well, don't want to do? Mike Rivera has pointed out, you walk into any diner anywhere in the country and you'll see a sign that says, we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. Yeah. And uh, that, But you come in and you sit down and you stink and everybody else wants to leave yeah. because you stink. And they say, well, you can't kick me out just because I stink. You know, it's it's not, uh, it's not a public, even though it serves the public, it's not really a public place. You're still a guest there. Uh, I just don't get how people can think that this is the same thing as like going into a courthouse or something where everybody pays for it. It's you know a public building. Well, I I, I think I'm, I'm I'm summarizing it correctly. They're they're taking something that is an act of 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 offensive nature all throughout history uh, and trying to turn it into a political movement. No. Uh, if uh, if if you had the bad habit of, of picking your nose in public that you kept since childhood, all I can say is grow up. L- learn some common decency. And no, the, the millennial movement, the Democratic Party especially, wants to take these bad habits and turn it into a political movement. That's wrong. Grow up. Try adapting to humanity. Uh, and no, they don't want to adapt. They want to force their bad habits on everybody else. Uh, really, well, I I'm, think that's the part where I can agree, is the forcing of some somebody else's beliefs on you. Yeah. Uh, and you don't you don't have to you don't have to get involved with what they're doing. You don't have to care what they're doing. But they shouldn't be forcing it on you. Yeah. Well I'm uh I'm somewhat astounded what happened to uh, common tobacco smoking since yeah. the 50s. Uh, our age, we know how bad cigarette smoking was in the 50s. Mm-hmm. 
fifties and sixties. And uh I was really surprised when it was actually the community I, community I lived in at the time, Calabasas, California. Oh. Uh I could say it was a, a high end community and I found a cheap apartment there. <laughs> the only one in the area. Was the only reason I could afford to live there. Or barely afford to. Eventually I couldn't and that's why I moved to move out. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't, it got so expensive I couldn't even afford an, a small apartment in that town. Uh, but that was the first community in California that banned all smoking in public restaurants. And I was surprised they got away with it. I thought, oh, somebody's going to pull a constitutional right lawsuit on them real soon. But to my surprise, it grew and grew and suddenly became a statewide law. And since Las Vegas is supported by people from Los Angeles, I was in greater shock to start seeing no smoking areas in casinos. Yeah. And casinos used to be like like walking into Smog City. Uh, But... uh, but eventually the uh the the stop smoking movement won out and it's it's pretty much common to have restaurants especially be non smoking all around the country now. Well because what they how they got that in too was by saying that the people that work there have to be around that smoke. And if they're not a smoker, you know, it's like you're giving them a health problem yeah. without they have to work, and you're letting them be exposed to this smoke. Yeah. So they did that in kids, too, bringing kids in. To me, what, what really started to offend me was that when they started telling people that they couldn't smoke outdoors in the open air. I was like, you know what, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it, They would be like telling people, you can't even smoke in the parking lot. You can't even smoke on the ground. And it's like, okay, so now what? Your guests over here that are smokers are going to come to my property because it's not posted and smoke on my property. Take care of your own smokers. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, <laughs> it's like huh. I, I. It's saw... not illegal to smoke. It makes money for the for the town. I mean, for the uh, taxing people too. It makes but money. I, I don't think we saw tobacco disappear because of police type actions. We saw tobacco disappear via peer group pressure. Yep. And peer group pressure is a lot stronger than a, a fascist movement. Uh yep. you, you take true. a fascist attitude right off the bat and you're gonna get uh rebellion immediately. Yep. But uh but well influential people started in Hollywood and just begin making it unpopular and just not the cool thing to do of of lighting up a cigarette all the time. When uh, you don't have to smoke over... pot, they'll smoke pot, no problem. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, and that stuff is pretty. That's pretty acrid compared to cigarettes. But uh, you don't have to go too far back to, uh, to see videos of of celebrities smoking on the tonight show and yeah. 
and in interviews, it was just common to have have cigarette smoke blowing by, and that's one of the reasons they had to have such powerful air conditioning in in TV studios was quite often to blow the smoke away from the desk so the camera could see the host. I can uh, remember being in restaurants where they had a smoking section and a non-smoking section, and you couldn't really tell because they had really good ventilation to you know pull the smoke out. Mm-hmm. You couldn't smell it in the other room or anything. Yeah, but so sometimes you had to walk through it to get out. So my point is, uh, some bad habits can be phased out, but uh, we got to stop listening to this insane, hyper liberal agenda off of television and and liberal media. That there's plenty of it on the internet too. It's not just TV. No. But uh, no, those idiots don't control our lives. Uh, we we've got to be intelligent enough to know right from wrong. And to uh, to start letting people know that some things in life are not cool, like drinking and driving. So that's why I'm militantly against alcohol myself. Uh, just way too many drunk drivers on, on the road. And then you, you look at where does all this money from, from all these drunks in the world go to? Uh, highest per, per capita of, of alcohol consumption in the country is Washington, D.C., and uh, where is that money going? Uh, it's, it's creeping up. The, the one family I pick on is Anheuser-Busch because uh, driving coast to coast, you see more uh, cans of empty cans of Bud on the side of the road than anything else. And uh, I, I did a little uh, brief Internet uh, research on it, and I can confidently say that the Anheuser-Busch family has killed more Americans on American highways than the Nazis did in all of World War II. So uh, I've got no respect for the Anheuser-Busch family. But uh, if you watch this Jake Morfonio's thing where he, he combs in on the on the Bronfmans, good grief, they're worth over a billion dollars from, uh, from high-octane uh, uh, alcohol. Uh, they own Seagram's Gin, um, and a, apparently that has so many subdivisions of other brands and whatnot. I, I don't know which uh, which high potency liquor they're uh, they're selling, but uh, but yeah, look what happens. Uh, he ends up spoiling his two brat daughters, who go out and do ugly, hideous stuff with it. So you're not. You're not supporting any good causes by by buying any of this booze. So there's a, a lot healthier stuff to to drink, uh, a lot better tasting stuff stuff than any alcohol. Uh, just in in just learn how to mix fresh fruit juices and whatever, and some of that stuff is fantastic. Uh, I know there was a a classy restaurant in in L.A. for a, a while called uh, Bobby McGee's. And they offered a, uh, a strawberry banana berry, a non-alcoholic strawberry banana berry daiquiri is what they called it, uh-huh. and that was fantastic. No alcohol, cost about eight bucks a drink, but it was delicious. <laughs> yeah, well, people drink for various reasons. Some of it is just because they think they need to do that to be social. Yeah, well, I I just hate young people buying into the lie that, oh, you have to drink to be social. That's bull. Well, Total baloney. 
they make weird choices. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of really sad stories going on with people losing the younger generation right now and I've had some conversations like that with friends too about um you know there's really older, you know, older people, I'm saying like older than us who are raising little kids because of their grandchildren's bad choices or whatever. They're doing drugs and they're doing all kinds of stuff and I'm wondering how many of them are going to survive honestly. Because up in this area, there's it's like that age group from about 20 till 35. They're all like taking terrible chances, and we're seeing stories all the time yeah. about people who have gone down that road. And you go and look them up and see their because everybody's got Facebooks and and things like that now. You go see how they looked like three years ago, and they look like normal kids normal, healthy, young adults, and then you see them at the point where they've either died or been arrested, and they look they look like they've aged 15 years since then, and it's because of their drug use, their meth, and their meth that they're taking or crack or something else. Horrible. And they've got little kids, some of them. Like I said, Older parents that are at the you know retirement age or older are raising these kids that are like four and five years old. They're not; they don't have the energy to do that. It's either that or have the state take them, and the state's not that good at taking care of people's kids either. The, uh, well, the, it's pretty the, sad. The phrase I keep coming back to every election time is responsible behavior. At any conservative versus liberal paradigm or left-right Hegelian dialect arguments, it it all boils down to responsible behavior. Yeah, and, and obeying uh, the law. Yeah, uh, and and laws are supposed to be written to support responsible behavior, not to uh, not to support irresponsible behavior, which is what uh, what the crazy liberal agenda is trying to do with the law. Uh, with the absurd idea of gay marriage. I mean, they don't even understand the English language to come up with such an insane phrase. Uh, so, uh, no, politicians that that uh, disrespect the English language with their laws, they have no business being in, in, in office. But anyway, uh, moving on down my list here on, on the different topics here. Uh, I was kind of said some nice things about that Doug Gabriel at, at uh, American Intelligence Media, I think. Yep. Uh, I'm changing my opinion on him. He threw out some really off-the-wall comments two or three videos ago. One was he claimed that uh, that Hiroshima and Nagasaki were just a firebomb, that there was no radiation there. Is that guy insane? I've I didn't taught. like him. I didn't like him when he sounded threatening towards that other guy. Anyway, I didn't listen to him after that day when I heard that. Well, yeah, his, his condescending uh, talk there was just out of line. But uh, no, he, he's making some just ludicrous com- comments here. I mean, I've talked to someone who was a foot soldier sent in to Hiroshima only two weeks after the bomb. And there was radiation all over the place. What's he doing telling people an absurd thing like 
like no nukes were actually used in in Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Uh, talk about crazy conspiracy uh, philosophies. It, it's not even a theory. It's just a blatantly wrong statement. Uh, so you got that, and then the other thing he's been preaching heavily on for more than one thing was, uh, oh, all these big corporations have a, a golden share controlled by the queen. Uh, excuse me, a, a golden share is feasible in a private corporation. That might be true, but private corporations are usually pretty small. He was claiming that Lockheed Martin has a golden share held by the queen, and consequently that golden share controls all of Lockheed Martin. Excuse me, Lockheed Martin is a public company. All their books are public. Hmm. If such a thing as a golden share existed, it would be in the miles of paperwork they have to file constantly. And it's not. So I don't know where he's coming up with this claim. But he's he's really throwing out some, some pretty stupid stuff uh, of late, and I don't know what tangent he's going off into. I, I put a comment uh, under one of his videos drawing attention to something David Hawkins brought up, is the guy keeps using the word that, uh, claiming that, oh, his conclave did this or his conclave did that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And David Hawkins says the word conclave comes out of the Vatican. I don't like that word either. I picked up on that when I heard him say it. Yeah, now the guy <laughs> is, is supposedly an ex-Jesuit, and, well, that that's another long story. Uh, does he still have his own Vatican ties? I don't know. But uh, what... Does anybody know if the real Pope is still alive? I haven't heard a word about the real Pope since he was supposedly resigned or whatever. Uh, I was going to say, which real Pope are we talking about? Cause well, remember when they took out the other one and they put this one in? Well, Popes don't usually leave. They they usually die and then they get a new Pope. They don't get rid of somebody and bring in another Pope. Yeah. So Francis came in before the other one was dead. Right. That was unusual. Um, I just wondered if the other guy's still alive. Well, not that I liked him or anything, but he was the real pope. R Ratzinger was was forced to quit, and he claimed God told him to quit. Well, it's really not, weird. Not, none of the rest of us were in on that conversation, so uh, we we don't know what uh, what the truth is behind that. But uh, as I've been told. Uh, there was never supposed to be such a thing as a Jesuit pope because Jesuits are kind of oath sworn to destroy the Catholic Church. And uh, for a Jesuit to get into the position of pope means, yeah, this is the guy who's going to destroy the Catholic Church. And he seems to be uh, halfway to his, his, his goal, uh, if that's the case, with all the asinine remarks that are coming out of his mouth of late, or ever since he arrived, I should say. Huh. So, uh, anyway, being a, a strong Protestant, I have no uh, no respect for the position of Pope to square, from square one, so I don't have much else to say for him. He, he's he's living a, a total fantasy. 
He's got no authority whatsoever other than an awful lot of naive people think that he is their religious leader, and uh, not according to Desert Pete. Well, some of the Catholics don't accept him either, because well, they go, how did he get there? Yeah, you know because I mean? there's there's a few Catholics who actually read the Bible and and know what Christianity is about, and they get a lot of respect from me, even though I'm a, a Protestant. So... Uh, uh, let's see, going down my list here. Uh, oh, j- just while we're on the topic of Pope, uh, a name from a year or two ago that was kind of a troublemaker and able danger, Tim White. Yeah, I remember. That, that up and left. Uh, he was a strong advocate of that uh, that other Vatican researcher I mentioned now and then, Eric John Phelps. Uh and I wonder what Tim White's view of is of Eric John Phelps now that Eric John Phelps has become a flat earther. I uh, huh. Huh. I went back to his website and started listening to his. Uh, well, it it replays on Sunday night is when I listen to it, but I guess it airs live on Wednesdays. Uh, but uh, a couple of months ago. Eric John Phelps, who who wrote the 2,000-page reference book on Vatican history titled uh, Vatican Assassins. So that was intense, intense research, and I have to respect him for, for the work he put into that. And while he seems so eloquent and, and well-organized in that aspect, now he jumps off a cliff and claims to be a flat earther. And now I have to go back and think. Well, that pro- and and he will rip one or two verses out of the Bible and claim that that's proof of it being a flat Earth right out of the Bible. And I'm thinking, you're nuts. That proves you don't know anything about hermeneutics. You don't know how to reference any scripture. If you want to go re- ripping verses out and and make them stand on their own without proper context of what the verse is all about, who said it, who said it to who, what was the context of the message. Those are all hermeneutical questions you have to ask whenever you're quoting scripture to to support a position. And if he thinks any passage in in scripture proves a flat earth, then he's a nutcase and he doesn't even know anything about hermeneutics. So uh, I'm just curious if, if all the the, the radical supporters that uh, that Phelps had over the years, uh, how they're reacting to this this latest position of this guy, and uh, it's a shame because he's he's mentioned quite a few other things I I would agree with, but uh, but man with with something this absurd, you just wonder has has he snapped? What what's going on? I don't know, but that, those are some names I'd forgotten about. Uh, They're from the past, too. Maybe I ought to drag out some old stuff and start listening to it and see if I can remember anything from back then. <laughs> that was a long time ago that those people were in the forefront. Well. Five years or more, right? I'm I'm shaking my head at how fast the water's going under the bridge here yeah. in, in my own life. And uh uh yeah, 
I, I made a remark in the, earlier in the chat. Uh, James can set up something relative to a, a kumbaya, and and I said, no, come buy my metal detector. <laughs> <laughs> really? Because I need 600 bucks, and so as I'm as I'm desperately looking around for something I can sell to to close a business deal, uh, I I'm looking through Craigslist and. Uh, Oh, on items wanted or whatever, somebody uh, had posted that uh, they buy uh, celebrity signatures. And I thought, oh, I happen to have one. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I, I have, I, I went to, well, the, I think I mentioned this before, the, the movie Forbidden Planet uh, with... Uh, Oh, Leslie Nielsen was in it. Uh, Spencer Tracy was was kind of the lead, and the uh, the only female in the whole movie was Anne Francis, who played the beautiful daughter of Spencer Tracy on uh, on this this distant planet. And uh, at the reunion, Anne Francis was there, and I got her signature on the program for the uh, the evening. And I not only have her signature, I kept the pen that she signed it with. And I should mention, I loaned her the pen to sign it. I did not steal her pen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, so I kept the pen and the the program with her signature on it and two or three other actors from the movie also. And I had my camcorder with me and I videotaped her signing it. Oh, that's great. So I've got like triple authentication there. I've got her fingerprints on <laughs> on the pen. I've got the, the program. And I thought, boy, I ought to be able to maybe get the, the amount that I need here. And so I reached into my desk where I had been keeping it. It wasn't there. No way. And now I'm thinking... Okay, it's uh, that. All right, I got her signature back in 1999. We're talking what 20 years later now. Uh, I've moved two times. Plus, I've spent the last 16 years here in the desert. My garage and office is burned down. Fortunately, I never kept this out in the office. It was always in the house, so I know it. It, it still exists. And was not destroyed in the fire, but I think after the fire, I got real serious about my my more valuable valuables, and I got this crazy idea that I think all of us have had is well, let's see, that's important. I better put it in a safe place, and now I can't remember what the safe place was that I put it. <laughs> so, you have a safe? No, I don't. But maybe you put it in the safe. Uh, something, yeah. I need to pass on to people that I learned from from my office fire. Uh, metal file cabinets are not a safe place to keep anything. Yeah, I know. Be- because the heat from the fire gets transmitted right through the metal, and it just bakes any paper inside. Well, not only that, but there are crevices around the drawer openings and stuff, so. Yeah. They can vent inside. I mean, the flame can go right in there. Yeah. 
but uh, what really surprised me after the fire, uh, I had a, a wooden desk uh, that the drawer sealed very tightly on. And I thought, as most everybody does, is, oh, a wood desk is going to go up in flames in a fire. No, not if it's thick wood. And in this case, it was a cheap wooden desk that was all particle board, but it was thick particle board. It was like half, three-quarter inch thick. The good thing is that it happened to, due to gravity, it uh, the, the drawers sealed very tightly, so smoke couldn't get in. Yep. And to my surprise, when I pulled the drawer out, it was only the edges, like like the top quarter inch of the paper that was charred or smoke damaged, that when I started separating the paper papers that were inside that drawer, the papers survived. <laughs> um, so the best kind of file cabinet to endure a fire is an expensive, high-quality, thick wood file cabinet. <laughs> yep. One that uh, that seats very securely so that, that gravity kind of keeps it seated even more. Uh, and in reality, when a structure catches fire, the fire department is usually there within 30 minutes, so the most that a fire is going to burn is maybe 45 minutes before the fire department gets everything extinguished. And all that wood has to do is survive 45 minutes of flame, and it protects your uh, your stuff. So having said that, unfortunately, I don't have any wood wood desks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I put stuff in a um, fireproof box type safe. When I say that, it's not that hard. Somebody could take the whole thing somewhere, pick yeah. it up. If they could find it in my house. <laughs> yeah. They could well, remove it, but it's good to put things like birth certificates and stuff like that in because it's supposedly fireproof. It's not very big, though. Yeah. So uh, all I'm thinking of now is uh, i got to find enough money to start buying some uh, ginkgo biloba again. <laughs> and what does that do? I forget. That's... Uh, uh, it opens up the microfine blood vessels in your brain and allows more oxygen. Oh. And I know when I first tried that, uh, I had a hard time getting to sleep that night. But uh, the next morning, I suddenly remembered something that I had misplaced two or three years earlier. And, oh, why don't you go look in this corner for such and such? And there it was. So ginkgo biloba will jog distant memories back. Hopefully, just the good ones. <laughs> but uh, uh, see, so you still there? Yep, I'm here. Sorry. Oh, okay, I, I heard a click. I didn't <laughs> didn't know if, if the system cut us off or something. Probably uh, our friends at the NSA. Uh, that could be it. <laughs> Somebody thinking that oh, Desert Pete has a, has a valuable signature. Time to to break in. Well. Right now, Desert Pete doesn't even remember where he put it. So yeah, he's got to find it first, right? It's, it's somewhere amongst the clutter, and you know all about that. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, the things that I'm cleaning out are kind of fun because they're like a time capsule back into the 70s. 
70s and 80s, some of them. I'm finding things that I haven't seen in so long. I forgot that I even had them. I pick it out and I go, what the heck is this? I start looking at it. My gosh. <laughs> it's kind of interesting in a way because it jogs, you know, it jogs memories of the time period, you know. So I'm kind of like, okay, that's kind of cool. I don't necessarily have to keep it, but things are kind of cool that I'm finding. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you keep reporting on all the uh, the, the politics of Maine and such, and, and I don't always have much to report on out here other than Jerry Brown is a fool, and I think the whole world knows that, and there's nothing else I can add to it. Uh, well, how's it going? I mean, is California still trying to secede from the Union and have their own, I don't know what, would it be a country, I guess? Jerry Brown is still doing stupid asinine stuff all the time. I can't keep up with him. I just always thought that was funny because I'm like, well, how does California think it's going to survive as its own thing, like its own country or something? The infrastructure is not all there to be its own country. Well, if if a conservative took the position seriously and attacked all the corrupt uh, voting that's going on in the state, a conservative would get back in, in Sacramento. Uh, but I, I keep going back to, to Raylan Allen admitting that when she was a naive liberal herself up in the San Francisco area, she was one of the vote counters, and she and all the other liberals were routinely throwing Republican ballots into the trash <laughs> while counting ballots. I'm not surprised a bit. Uh, so there's an eyewitness testimony, and uh, once computers were installed, it became hopeless. And so we've just had one in, one corrupt election after another, so much so Diane Feinstein, the last time she ran for office, did not even campaign. She knew it was a shoe-in. She did not even debate uh, her her one opponent ever. She knew it was a shoe-in, and same goes for uh, Barbara Boxer. Uh, they are both corrupt to the core, and. What the last headline I saw at age 84 now, Diane Feinstein thinks she'll run again. Because what did she say this past week? She said or did something this past week because I went looking at whatever it was someone posted and saw a bunch of people just hammering on her. It was her Twitter account, I think. It was something she said or did, and they were just telling her she was like, you know. Well, she's crazy or a hypocrite or something. I don't know what her latest quote is, but yeah, she's obviously buddy-buddy with uh, Pelosi. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, Barbara Boxer, and, and Feinsteiner. I refer to them as the three whores of Babylon from, Cal- from oh, California. No. Oh. And uh, they're, uh, they're, they're just so hideously corrupt. It's, it's beyond description. And it has to be uh, corrupt uh, uh, voting because uh, I can't believe that there's too many conservatives in the state uh, even crazy San Francisco is not all dance naked in the street uh, faggots 
San Francisco happens to be the corporate headquarters of Wells Fargo Bank and several other banks. It's the headquarters of several large mutual funds that I used to sell and promote. So you, uh, San Francisco is a major financial uh, area. And I also happen to know the corporate headquarters for the shipping container division of General Electric is in San Francisco. So, yeah, they might have New World Order leanings, I'll admit that, but as far as general politics goes, there are some extremely staunch, super wealthy conservatives in San Francisco. Why in the world is San Francisco spitting out nothing but liberal politicians? It has to be corruption. It just has to be. Uh, corruption in, in, in the uh, the voting. So uh, I, I just think that if uh, if some some nice wealthy conservative money would back up a a a good conservative, uh, if you can find one out of show business, I mean Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to be the uh, the answer to that, but uh, but he was a closet uh, closet Democrat, so. Uh, he didn't help matters any, but uh, but if some conservative uh, people got behind the right person, uh, things could change. But uh, I just don't see it happening yet. And right now, the the medium-sized business community is is vacating the state. We we just can't survive under all the the regulations here. Uh, so we're stuck with a uh, with a governor who wants to regulate cow flatulence and other levels of insanity. So, uh, but uh, anyway, the, the politics I wanted to report on though, was uh, just over the state line in Nevada. They just had a a royal screw up exposed, and since I've got a well, I'm on the board of a couple of Nevada corporations. This this really shook me to the core when I learned this. Uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, the the one owned by uh, yeah, I just recently got bought by uh, Adelson, the guy who owns the Venetian Hotel, the biggest one. Sheldon. In Vegas. Sheldon Adelson owns the the paper. Yeah. Uh, so you expect it to be very uh, pro-Zionist. But uh, but let's face it, even Zionists want to protect their money. And this is the story that came out. Somebody discovered the hard way that the Nevada Secretary of State website could be hacked easily, and all you needed was an email account. It didn't even have to be an email account of a domain that you own. You could have a free Gmail account. And if you had a free <laughs> Gmail account, you could hack the website. The simple way they did it is you simply opened an account with the Secretary of State. You didn't have to own anything. You simply opened an account. Okay. Yeah, here's a fictitious name. Here's a fictitious address. But here's an email account. Okay, fine. They give you an account. Once you have your account, you then go to the Secretary of State website, silverflume.gov, 
gov or something like that, and search for any corporation you want to search for. It doesn't have to be one that you own. You find the corporate records online of any corporation in Nevada, open up the the uh, the record, and click on edit, the edit button. Once you have all these corporate records open, you simply click an edit button. Mm -hmm. One set of yes or no buttons shows up. Are you authorized to make changes? Sure. Yes or no? <laughs> yes, I am. All you had to do was click yes. It Here's did. another good one. What's your favorite color? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But are you that. authorized to make changes? All a person had to do was click yes. And suddenly they have edit capability for the list of the board of directors of any corporation in Nevada. Man. Once somebody learned they could do that, they maybe they knew about this corporation ahead of time, but the, the Sucker Corporation was one based down in Las Vegas, had just recently purchased a $4 million piece of property, and they paid cash for it. There were no liens on the property. That corporation, the LLC, owned that piece of property free and clear. Somebody went in, changed who the board of directors were for the corporation, and somehow or another got the $150 fee. Now, this should be a stall point because to make any changes, the Secretary of State charges a $150 fee if you change anything. Even if you're the rightful owner, you have to pay $150 to change any data. Somehow or another, this fellow, this fictitious criminal, got $150 to the Secretary of State. Could have been a postal money order, maybe, or something. I don't know. But the the state took the money and made the changes, and the next day it flies on their website that the Secretary of State of the state of Nevada now says, these are the new board of directors to this corporation. The fellow printed that out, went to a naive lender, and said, we own, uh, I'm the, the president of this corporation, uh, and here's the title deed printed out by the county that says, who's the owner of, the cor of that piece of property? Why, it's that corporation. And then he then shows the Nevada Secretary of State website information that can be rechecked live saying that he was the president of that corporation and the naive lender loaned him two million dollars against that piece of property the guy who did it skipped with all the money disappeared three months later the actual owner of the property suddenly had a foreclosure show up in his mail and he goes what what we don't even have a loan against the property. How can you file foreclosure against us? Oh, because we just loaned you $2 million. And you never made one payment. And you never made one payment. Yeah. Wow. Um, Incredible. Yeah. 
So, as soon as I heard that story, <laughs> as soon as my resident agent in, in Nevada's office opened the next morning, they got a phone call from Desert Beat. <laughs> Have you seen this story? <laughs> uh, oh no, we God. haven't. Uh, and I brought it to their attention, and they were in shock. And they let me know that they are in daily touch with the treasurer of the state, uh, treasurer, secretary, I, I forget which, but anyway, one of the elected officials of the state they are in daily contact with. My resident agent handles a lot of corporations for Nevada. And they said, we will be bringing it to her attention immediately. And two days later... What shows up in the Las Vegas Review Journal? Oh, this uh, this politician's office is uh, is admitting we have a uh, uh, you know what was the tactful word? We have a deficiency in in our website that that we will be correcting very shortly. <laughs> yep. So, uh, uh, well, I, I I think corporations are very useful. And I've liked Nevada, Nevada for a lot of reasons, but uh, but even good guys can make mistakes at times, and they made an awful one. Uh, I think the programmer just got lazy when he got to that stage of uh, I'll just put a yes or no button up there, and uh, and and we'll move them on to the next page. He didn't bother with any sort of authentication to to prove a, a claim of of yes. So. Uh, Whenever there's something like that, um, people will find it because there's somebody always looking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the the other request I left my resident agent, I said, please do not make that website any more complicated than it already is <laughs> because as complicated as it already is, it's very difficult to navigate. And only a, a psychopathic criminal mind would have any idea where the big loophole was at. Well, they sure found it. And I wouldn't have thought, I never would have thought of of looking up somebody else's corporation and going into edit mode and falsely claiming that I had right to change it. That never would have crossed my mind. Uh but in some people's minds, they just want to see what all they can get away with. Oh, what are you going to do to me if I click the wrong button? So, uh, nasty world we live in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the last thing on my list, uh, my uh, missionary friend in, uh, in Cameroon uh, pointed this out to me. Um, every country in Africa is going through serious turmoils. Uh, Jeff Rents keeps pointing out what's happening in South Africa of uh, of of the the militant political blacks are killing off white farmers uh, who are descendants of the the first white settlers from the Dutch that actually arrived 400 years before the British did. And uh, they started the agricultural industry, which is what feeds South Africa, are all those white-owned farms. Uh, and the crazy politicians down there 
are are allowing just complete white genocide of of white farmers. And it's not like blacks are moving in to to remanage the farm. No, they they kill all the livestock. If a crop is harvestable, they eat all the food and then leave it leave everything to rot. They don't know how to run a farm if they had to. It's it's total ravaging and pillaging and and move on. Um so there's atrocities like that going on in South Africa, but in Cameroon there is a crazy battle going on between English-speaking blacks and French-speaking blacks. It's not even a white or black issue. It's a language issue. And the French have control of the politics of the country. The English-speaking are the minority. And... They pulled a fast one on Obama claiming that, oh, we have this terrorist group called Boko Haram uh, sneaking across the border from Nigeria. And Obama said, okay, we'll sell you some drones to find them in the jungle. Uh, so that was signed the end of his administration. Well, the, the drones got manufactured and then they got delivered under Trump. So converted... Cessna drones are now in Cameroon and this crazy French government is not using them to trace to chase uh, Boko Haram terrorists they're using it against English speaking Christians on the other side of the country wow. um, I don't know how we're going to get this stuff all back together again because it's worse than it was. I don't understand what this thing is, why people want to be so separated from everyone. No politician here in America should be selling arms to anybody. If we make them here, they should stay here to defend our country. We shouldn't be selling weapons to anybody. And Trump signed that big deal with Saudi Arabia, only to have Saudi Arabia then up and invade Yemen. It's all Why? about money, isn't it? It's all about money always. Money and control. Money, control, and and insanity. Well, they don't uh, care about that stuff. I mean, really, when you think about it, the rich people already have what they need. So what they're going for is something else. They just want to win at any cost. Lisa, so... Yeah, hate, hate to end on a sour note, but man, the world is falling apart everywhere. And uh, I don't it know what to do It seems to be about what it. people want. That's the thing. I mean, it's one thing if we think we're fighting against like this bad group that's running things, but it seems to be that the you know average masses of people want this for some reason. I don't know what. Why? I mean, is it like brainwashing? It's like they love doing it. They love it. So what are we going to do against that? You have to have people that want a certain common goal, at least. They don't seem to be fighting for anything other than just some little turf, you know, small area. 
and uh, intellectualizing things instead of seeing the reality they intellectualize it it's like they talk about it but it's not real they don't they can't put it into real terms so it's vague what they want world uh, peace i want world peace well what does that mean and what does it look like you know they can't talk about that yeah well, the the phrase I've heard in church since I was a little kid is is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, yeah, that's that's well and good from a a peaceful Christian stance, sitting in a, in a pew in in church. But when some of these, I have to use the rude word, ignorant, pathetically ignorant preachers, get involved with politicians. All all these good wishes just go right to hell, and uh, the the very idea of of arming Jerusalem to arming the the Zionist Israelis to go over and slaughter Palestinians, these these naive preachers who keep saying support Israel, support Israel with everything, and we got to sell them more weapons to protect themselves from these crazy Palestinians. And they're slaughtering Palestinians, and these preachers don't even realize there's Christians on the Palestinian side that are getting killed. Why are you only concerned about Jewish deaths and you're showing no concern about Christian deaths? I'm, I'm finding Christians getting killed over in Cameroon and nobody gives a flip. Uh, I'm finding World War II was riddled with Christians getting slaughtered over in Russia, and we don't hear anything about that. Uh, It's all the the six million Jews and the Holocaust is all we hear in American history, uh, oblivious of the the 50 million Christians killed over in Russia. And... uh, I don't know how many under Mao Zedong in, in China. Of course, there weren't, weren't very many Christians in China at that time. But still, he was just a a, a slaughter-crazed maniac uh, himself. Uh, and even if people aren't Christian, they don't deserve to be slaughtered. And yeah, that's all Mao Zedong wanted to do. And same with Stalin. Um so uh, I guess I'm thinking, who's going to care? Who's going to care about any of this stuff? Because well, we're getting older, and they don't. The next generation doesn't care. Well, I just know Desert Pete cares, and, yeah. and even people who have a different religious belief than me, I want to live long enough so that I can argue them to death. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, you know, I'm getting more and more jaded, I guess, because I just keep thinking, well, who the heck is going to... Uh, object much longer. I mean, how many more years do they need to just wait us out? Because the younger generation doesn't seem to have any real angst about anything other than, you know, if they have enough money or something. Yeah, games. They're not uh, they're not listening. We're we're fighting for their rights and they're not fighting for their rights. So, I don't know what the answer is to that. Do we keep trying? They're they're not getting it at all. Well, that that's why my dad was an evangelist. He just felt that people's 
soul has to change before their attitude changes, and uh, that that's why he invested his entire life in, in promoting Christianity. Well, say you look at even the um, the protests or whatever, there's some young people there, but they can't even say what it is they're upset about or the reasoning behind it. They can't even tell you. But the other thing, too, is if you see, like, um, educational forums where people are trying to talk about different issues, at least in Maine, if you see a video of these, they're all older people sitting there. It's nothing but gray hair in the room. There's no younger generation there at all. So they're not even informing themselves on what's going on right now as far as, you know, how are we going to solve these problems or whatever. They're not even there. They can't be bothered to go to meetings. So who's going to do it? Uh, yeah, it, it it really does seem hopeless when... Uh, uh, I almost can't stomach reading comments on on YouTube. Uh, it's it, all I can do is just broad brush and say, well, it's all written by trolls, and and nobody eloquently supports their position. It's all just personal attacks, uh, and can't uh, nobody can explain why why they're personally attacking somebody. Uh, I think I mentioned I, I tend to cut a lot more slack to uh, uh, Robert David Steele, the ex-CIA agent, than than most people at Able Danger. I think he's making some good points. Uh, he, for some reason or other, never talks about Circo or Christine Marcy. But let's face it, that's Field and David's specialty. And they have information about Christine Marcy that nobody else does. So uh, I don't talk about Christine Marcy that much because I'm not an expert on her. Uh, everything I know about her, I've learned from David and Field. I would just be quoting them, and maybe yeah. that's maybe that's why Robert David Steele doesn't say anything about her either, is that he would only be talk, quoting the the two experts on on Christine Marcy. Uh, but uh, but Steele does bring up several other issues that I I pretty much endorse and and I like his philosophy on a lot of matters. Uh, but the last interview he did say with uh, with uh, uh, Sarah, uh, I don't know the person's name. Uh, uh, Sarah Westall. Oh yeah. Uh, Steele had an enormous amount of negative comments underneath of, oh, he's he's an ex-CIA agent, you can't trust him, and and uh, once an agent, always an agent. And I I challenged somebody on one of their personal attacks, and uh, uh, I I just said, what specifically do you feel he's misleading me on? In other words, just name one topic that he covers that you think he's misleading everybody on? Nobody answered. The, the, the response I got was, oh, he talks to Ben Fulford, who was a known disinfo agent. Okay, he's talked to Ben Fulford. I've read Ben Fulford's articles myself. That doesn't make me a disinfo agent. 
Ben Fulford has made the mistake of repeating a few things that were in error, but I've never caught Ben Fulford intentionally misleading me on something. He's, he's made a lot of blunders. All were cases of him be, be, believing somebody he thought he could trust who proved to be untrustworthy, and Fulford eventually exposed them as, as liars. Uh, so just so the, the worst accusations I got against Robert Steele were guilt by association. Oh, he talks to Ben Fulford. Well, okay, so have a lot of people. Uh, but that doesn't exactly make them a, a disinfo agent trying to mislead me on something. Uh, if you think he's trying to mislead me on something, tell me what it is. Uh, correct my misunderstanding. And nobody answered that way because the YouTube trolls are, are just that. They're, they're low-mentality trolls. All they know how to do is personal attacks on people. Yeah, they just pick one word that you said and they expound on that. Yeah. Or they say, where's your proof? They have certain things they say. <laughs> You're right. Uh, it's, it's cliches, and that that that's where the term Russian bot comes in. Is, yeah, exactly. Is, yeah, you're you're just firing comments because you're you're just a robot. You're just a computer. Robot. <coughs> yeah, they'll say something like, like they say to everybody all the time. Like if you go to the same places and you watch the comments, they say the same things all the time. All of them say the same thing. It'll be like, well, we're not talking about that right now. That's one of them. Like, say if you say, well, what about when this happened? Oh, yeah, there's a what about-ism. You know, they never say anything of their own. They just tell you you're wrong. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's pretty easy to pick it out, actually. Well, that's the, the, the <coughs> low mental. Well, I remember Jack Parr making a comment way back in the early 60s. Yeah. That his his guests on the show were were kind of offended at the remark, and you almost heard the audience gasp when he said, "It's it's common knowledge that television is aimed for a twelve year old audience." Yeah. And Jack Parr admitted it right on the air there, and his guests were insulted. I mean, we're all adults here, and. You're telling me that all this programming is aimed for a 12-year-old? Yeah, it is. Well, nothing's changed. And uh, the Internet has has devolved into the same story. Uh, the, the, the comments are, are, are at best a 12-year-old mentality. They said newspapers were written at a fifth-grade level, so it's about the same. <laughs> Yeah. You, because you can't expect that everybody reading your newspaper has the level of education that they can get all the uh, high vocabulary and everything. So it's written for an average person to be able to understand it. Um, I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. It's just that, you know, <laughs> it's not your best place. It's not your best well, information. It's just, you know, common. Yeah. David Milou, French last name, some or other, very intellectual, and I I, I can only listen to him occasionally because he uses so many polysyllabic five syllable five syllable words that 
he loses me at times. <laughs> that okay, he's excellent for supporting his position. He understands all the the criteria for uh, uh, for debate and supporting his position in an argument. But uh, but he just uses too many big words for <laughs> for my IQ to handle it. <laughs> so. We actually, when, when our kids were little, we used to talk about things to them just like they were adults, and they had huge vocabularies. <laughs> People would say, your kids, you know, they talk like adults. Well, because we talked like adults to them, you know, that's how people get it. They get it in context. You have to read and you have to talk to people who speak, you know, use bigger words. Otherwise, you won't know them. You won't know what they mean. You'll go, what did you just say? You know? <laughs> I don't think it hurts to to use big words as long as you're not attempting to keep people from understanding. You know, like there are some people that do it because they just want to impress you or or make you not quite feel like you can get up to their level of expertise. I don't like jargon for that reason. If you go and listen to someone present something and they are using jargon and you say, well, I don't know what that means because only their own group knows what it means, that kind of thing bothers me. But as far as just talking about topics, you know, we've gotten to the point now where it's almost like everybody speaks in slang terms all the time. They don't even, they get to know depth that way. It's all shallow stuff. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll have to see, but it's exciting. I'll tell you, this is not like our parents' um, lifespan. This is quite different now. Yeah, because we have have televisions that we can talk back to. Unfortunately, they then talk back to us. Collect all our information, or or spy on us, whatever. And uh, you you can put tape over the webcams, but uh, I haven't figured out how to block out all the microphones and all the different computers here in the room. I just I know that they know everything we say. Shucks, my my cell phone I guess is the worst thing. Is I don't know how to turn that microphone off other than take the battery out. That's all I've been told. So, uh, we pay for them to take our stuff from us. That's yeah, pretty so, numb. So in the meantime, <laughs> we all have bills we have to pay. And uh, I'm sweating making it through to next, uh, next little security myself. So it's one of the reasons I'm desperately trying to sell off my metal detector. And, uh, oh, no fun. Me here. And no takers yet. I, I had an almost interesting offer made of a maybe I mentioned this last week of a fellow with an electric bicycle yeah you had like some kind of multi deal that you were trying to finagle in some way trouble is that that fell through Uh, he he wanted a metal detector for his his son was coming cross country to visit him and we're going to go down to the beach with a metal detector except that his son arrived with a surprise gift for him a a metal metal detector detector. yeah (laughs) so Something that always happens. Through. Yeah. Uh, continue to look. Well, uh, let's see. I had a couple of other video links I need to get up in the end of the chat here. I put up the uh, uh, 
sinus report. Uh, oh yeah, this is uh, this is an important one. Title uh, it. Here, click. Uh, <clears throat> Shucks. I thought I had a um, little earthquake just a minute ago because I heard this, my house kind of give, and then I heard a click, and I thought you were gone. Yeah, I've heard a few clicks on my line also, and I don't know what it was. See, it's uh, still doing it. Click. Yeah, uh, this uh, Sarah Westall interview is with a doctor who... Uh, conclusively determined autism is tied directly to mercury poisoning. And he came up with a, uh, he calls it a compound, some kind of a substance that enables chelating the mercury out of your bloodstream without creating uh, toxic concentrations of it. Uh, yeah. he, po he pointed out that there there were other chelation methods that unfortunately got the mercury to to concentrate in one location, and once it did that, it killed the host. So he said, "You don't dare do it that way." It it had to gradually go out in in, in daily urination, kind of a thing, and it didn't dare ever uh, concentrate in one area. Uh, well, he found a method to do that, and he immediately got suppressed. So anyway, everybody's got to watch that that video and see what uh, what research has been done and how he blames uh all autism he said is is tied to uh, to mercury and and he's uh he's done his own conclusive research on it. Uh, he pointed out something else I never knew before again from many studies uh Gulf War syndrome uh, the media constantly wants to debate, oh, does it even exist? Is it is it theory? Is it psychological? And uh, what he pointed out is not all the vets that went to the Gulf came back with Gulf War syndrome. The only ones that did were the ones who were vaccinated to go to the Gulf were the same ones that came back with Gulf War Syndrome. So he said it was a vaccine issue. And something else he pointed out was many uh, fighter jet pilots came back with Gulf War Syndrome even though they never landed in Iraq or, or Afghanistan. They were always flying over at 20 or 30,000 feet. Yeah. But they came back with Gulf War Syndrome. Well, how did that happen? They weren't even on the ground. Well, it's because they got vaccinated to go over there. So this interview conclusively points out it's all because of vaccines and and mercury toxicity uh, from the thimerosal. Yep. So uh, that's a powerful interview. So I got to recommend everybody to bookmark that and, and listen to it when you can. It's uh, 46 minutes long, 
And I have a feeling that that's only part one because the uh, the interview ends rather abruptly. He, he just makes a point and then cuts off. It's no no friendly goodbyes or anything. So w- whenever I see that happen with her, that, that means she, she chopped a long interview in two parts. But the, this... So even if this is only part one, this is a lot of important information that he gets across in that. Um, I'm glad I'm not having to make those decisions because, you know, what what do you do? I mean, we had certain shots that we had when we were growing up, but they're trying to give them so many more and in combinations and everything else, it became a moneymaker for them too. So it's like the money... The money um, motivation. Vaccine companies are are as well. They're as corrupt as as, as Monsanto. It's uh, yeah. It, it's it's for sales, and uh, that that's their only concern. Oh, here's a link to that other story I mentioned earlier. Uh, reporting on uh, the use of of U.S.-made drones in Cameroon. Learned of this story, like I say, from my missionary friend who's over there. uh, Not pleasant stuff happening out there. So, yeah, those are the only two other uh, links I wanted to get up there on the chat tonight. Well, so uh, politics is not getting any better, and... uh, no telling who's in control on the, in Trump's cabinet. Yeah, that's <laughs> people keep thinking, you know, they know what's going to happen, and then you'll see something, and they seem to be uh, just going along fine. Like yesterday, seeing, I think it was yesterday, Rod Rosenstein speaking and the president thanking him for his comments and everything, and I'm thinking, I thought he was on his way out. I thought he was getting fired, you know. And maybe he still will, but it sure didn't look like there was any stress there. I don't know. I don't know what's true. I guess just keep watching and see what happens, because when when results happen, then you know that it was true. But I thought he was on his way out. I thought he was one of the untrusted ones, Rod Rosenstein, or whatever. We steening or steining on him. We got steens and steins all over the place. Weinstein, I guess. Feinstein. Yeah. Yeah, I oh, never know which, which one I'm saying. Which leads to a topic uh, Rents had on just a couple of nights ago. Uh, oh, I can't pronounce it. It sounded something like the fish, to the tilapia pro- project or something like that. Yeah. It, it had to do with uh, Israel corrupting the design of Intel chips in our computers. And this has been out there for several years now, and it's only recently been discovered that uh, I, I forget the timeline. It's something like within the last four years of of Intel chip production that a a corner of the chip is a completely different operating system. Wow! And it's a completely separate processor, and it's designed as a piece of hardware that no software can change it has a it's your, your chip that is supposedly the mind of your computer 
has yep. another mind of its own. Yeah. And right. this hardware has a permanent access by Israel. Massage. Nice. So we need to just throw away all our computers in a dump then, right? And just never buy another one. All of our Intel chip computers has a direct back door to uh and as this fellow described it on the show, this is not a back door that they sneak into. This is like like a grandiose Las Vegas hotel entranceway lined with palm tree entrance. Yeah. That Mossad can waltz into any time they want. And at it the doesn't flip- really surprise me, though, because when you give an opportunity to people, they're going to take it. Somebody will take it. Well, this is what he, he, <laughs> he went into in, in that that. Fantastic interview, and I I hope Rents puts it up on YouTube soon. Uh, where Intel just screwed up royally uh, by hiring all these uh, uh, Israeli students and and whatnot, and then caving in to Israel's offer to fantastic tax benefits and other benefits if they would move their design headquarters to Israel. And Intel stupidly did it and ended up with a totally Zionist staff. Um, And what ends up in the design? But this, yeah, back door is a bad terminology. This front door access from only Mossad to go through. Uh so no, it's it, it's scary. And now he he alluded to, but had no proof of it, that AMD made American Micro Devices also made a similar mistake, and that there may be uh, hidden access in there too. But he didn't really provide any proof of that claim. So at the moment, the only safe chip out there would be an AMD chip, until proven otherwise. And the average person has no idea anyway. Exactly. You know, I had somebody ask me about two weeks ago whether they should, you know, do something about their smartphone or something. I said, time to be worried about all this was like at least 20 years ago and probably more. Yeah. I said, you can't do anything about it now. (laughs) There's nothing you can do about it. They've already got everything important about you, and all you're doing is adding to it. They already have it. Yeah. And they know they know who you are, even if you never say a word, because your family is out there, you know, posting pictures and saying this is my aunt or my neighbor or whatever. So they have you all identified. It doesn't matter whether you have a Facebook or a, anything else, because they already have you because of other people. And the same with like the the DNA test. They're saying the DNA test. You don't even need to. T- if you're protecting your DNA doesn't even matter because your relatives are probably sending their kit off that they got, you know, right? and sharing all of it. So they know they know all about your genetics, too. And so it's too late. It's yeah, too late. The only thing that's going to solve any of that is if the entire system just is completely fried, you know, well, like all of the networks are fried. And, and they're la- the controllers are laughing at it it's just like Facebook. I thought it was hilarious that he sets up the system and everybody starts posting their all their personal data on Facebook uh, for him to collect and turn around and sell for nefarious purposes. 
And yeah. you're right. Uh, this this 23andMe website or whatever. Yeah. Uh, people are actually paying money to expose their DNA. Wasn't that the one that I was talking about one night on here about how the person that was the owner of that was married to somebody that was the owner of something that was at Google or something? And oh. uh, how the heck was that? And they split up, and it was like there was some con- there was some high level combination of tech companies that were mingled somehow with the 23andMe. I think it was that. I think it was a Google person that was married to the 23andMe person and they had shared something with their business partnerships or something. I don't know. Now I can't remember because we also talked about that Peter Thiel guy and his, what did he have, three citizenships and one of them was New Zealand. So the minute I heard that Hillary Clinton had gone to New Zealand, I'm thinking, I wonder if that has anything to do with him. Teal is uh, he's a basket case. Uh, I don't have anything to do with him. There's just strange... I mean, my parents wouldn't have believed half of the stuff that's going on now. They wouldn't have even believed it was happening. Because who would even imagine it? I can imagine an awful lot because I've seen an awful lot. And I, you know, I'm pretty... I don't want to. I hate the word tolerant because of what it means nowadays. But I, I believe in letting people live and let live. As long as they're not hurting anyone, I don't care what they do. They could do whatever they want as long as they're well, not hurting anyone. Well, but this, but this stuff is bizarre. It's so far beyond normal, quote unquote, or what anyone would find acceptable. Not that long ago, forty years ago, was totally different. And these people, like the young people now that are starting to run things, they never saw that. They never even saw anything that was even close to what we would call normal. So they think this is normal. It's just mind-boggling, really. And I don't think it's just because we're older. I think it's just that we've seen a lot. Well, so in the meantime, we all have to pay our bills, and I've got to pay my uh, Internet Bill by the yeah. end of the month, or I lose internet, and I want to uh, to watch Uda. Uh, no. And uh, and or get <laughs> the biggest problem is I won't be able to get any good news emails from anybody. And you won't be able to get anything. Yeah. You'll be cut off. I can't can't let that happen. So uh, that's why I'm desperate to sell my metal detector here. Can you? Um, is there any way you can um, get online somewhere else? Or do you only have just uh, a big computer? I do you asked, have a little computer? We do have a small library here in town that does have Wi-Fi access, but I think you have to subscribe to a – I think it's a paid service. I just remember oh. that when I asked, there was, some, there was some kind of money involved. Now, it might have been cheap, but when you don't have any money, you don't have any money. And, That's uh, right. You don't Businesses sometimes have them, though. Businesses well, sometimes have Wi-Fi. Not here in this town because there aren't that no. many businesses, and Family Dollar sure doesn't have it. Well, that stinks. We have, like, at least around here you can get online from, I think, at McDonald's and at the library, and they don't charge you. You just get a password and get on it or get – I don't know how they do it. You sit in the parking lot and you can connect. The, the last, but I forget how you have to do it. 
the last restaurant I saw that had uh, had free Wi-Fi was Colonel Sanders Chicken, and unfortunately that one went out of business in Ridgecrest. And the other, the only other place I've seen free Wi-Fi was at Walmart. And I'm thinking, you can't carry a computer into Walmart. Why are they even posting that? I, I guess if if you want your smartphone to connect to Wi-Fi, you could probably do that at Walmart. But uh, I don't browse the internet on my smartphone anyway, so uh, doesn't apply to me. Yep. So no, I don't have uh, free access, and the only place that might have it would be over in Ridgecrest, and that's a 50-mile drive, and that's about six hours of the gasoline to do that. So. Yeah, you'd have to do it several times a week just to keep up. Uh, yeah, and I have to check email throughout the day. So. Do you have any um, educational things nearer to you, like say courses or community colleges or anything like that, or are they far away too? This is Trona. <laughs> yeah, too far away. We, we don't have yeah, no. I knew you were in the boonies, but I thought you might have something there, like a, a school. Do you have well, a school, a high school? There's there's an elementary school. Where do the kids go to high school? I, do I they guess, ship well, them out? I guess they do have a high school there, too. Well, I was just thinking, but, you know, uh, there may be something there that you could do. And I'm just saying if you can't get whatever you need done. Like, say, you can't get it done. Hopefully you will, but if you can't, maybe you could go there because schools sometimes will have things like that. <clears throat> well, like I say, I I need to watch my email throughout the whole business day, and mm-hmm. that, that's kind of a bummer to step out in the heat and, uh, yep. and go sit outside of high school trying to trying to boost their, their Wi-Fi, and I don't yeah, know what true. the password might be to it anyway, so... Uh, without going in and asking, and they would immediately say, why does an old guy like you need, need, need because access for to... Because for business reasons, for business yeah. reasons, or I lost my Internet or whatever. I mean, that is a tax-funded thing. A well, school's tax-funded. If if somebody from the community came into the library at the school where I worked and said they needed to use the computer for something, as long as they weren't taking it away from anyone else, I don't see why not. But Well... You know, just again, internet ideas. is internet is tied to phone and yeah. whatnot. So if if I don't pay that bill, I I'm not just losing internet; I'm losing the phone too. The phone know, that I'm talking to you on right now. Duck. Yeah, mine's so, the uh, same too. Mine's the phone and the internet. Uh, so I get you. So we got thing. that, and uh, anyway, just common desert peat bellyache that it's getting it. Toward the end of the month, it's getting pretty tight here. And, uh, yeah, I with, know. With my Social Security payday, I, not till what the 12th or 13th of next month that I uh, that I see the next check. So I, it's almost like two weeks into the month. So um, that's how it is with me. At the end, before I get paid again, that's exactly how it is. You're just sitting there going, "Okay, now do I have supper figured out? Do I have this done?" <laughs> So, so just an announcement to everybody else who's tuned in tonight: if 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 either uh, Ginger or Desert Pete disappear for a week, that that might be the reason we may have lost our internet connection. Yeah, we're we're eating instead. Yeah, yeah we I mean, thought we might eat food instead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I just dumped the last batch of quarters I had to buy some mayonnaise tonight at Family Dollars oh. so that I could uh, 
I got to have mayonnaise with my potatoes, or I can't eat potatoes. So. <laughs> I just can't even imagine that. What do you do with them? You cook them, and then you put mayonnaise on them. I can't imagine oh, that. Oh, I've I've kind of come up with a a recipe I call uh, potatoes atrona. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I I I I chop them up into little quarter inch or half inch squares and uh, uh, fry them in butter. And sprinkle. Uh, thank goodness for for Family Dollar and and Big Lots. I've been able to find onion powder and garlic powder. Yep. And chopped onions cheap, uh, and parsley. So I throw all four of those on. Um. And spread a little uh, mayonnaise on top of it, and it's pretty good. And you eat that? That's hot, right? Yeah. Wow. And, I'll uh, have to see. I might try that some night just to see how that goes. I'd like to know because we eat a ton of potatoes here. Obviously, we grow potatoes in Maine, so we eat a ton of potatoes. And you, I have you not probably, heard of that before. Uh, <laughs> what I was trying to mimic was American fries, but I'm not that good of a chef, and I just have it's to It's like home fries. It's like what you'd have with breakfast. Fried, right? You're talking about fried potatoes? Yeah. 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 I fry in butter. Uh, yeah, it's the same. It's aff- like home fries. I can't afford cooking oils, or nor do I have knowledge enough. I mean, Bellam and I, one week, were chatting about grapeseed oil, which I had never heard of before. And yeah. There's a lot of different oils out there, and I'm just too dumb to know about any of them. So I just... Uh, uh, Use butter in the pan, and that uh, that gives. Well, me that makes flavor. it taste good anyway. Butter is yeah. really good for cooking stuff like that. Yeah. But so I mean, you said parsley, garlic, um, uh, onion, on- onion powder, onion uh, powder. Okay. Uh, and onion also. Yeah, if you okay. have fresh onions, which I can't always afford, but if I have them, I chop those up. Yeah, and, and what was the other thing? You said four things. Uh, parsley, uh, uh, garlic powder, onion powder. Uh, if you don't have fresh onions, it, I use chopped onions, dried, because they, oh, they, okay, yeah. they they soak up enough juice in the cooking process. Uh, and what I've been also doing lately that, that helps matters is... Uh, I chop up about half a stalk of uh, celery, again, in little, little bitty quarter-inch bites. Oh, that's right. You mentioned the celery before because I was like, wow, that's different too. Yeah, so I throw all that on, and then wow. uh, just a light spread of, of mayo over the top. And you, you don't dump three or four tablespoons on, no, that, that's overdoing it. You just put like one tablespoon on a, on a full plate of potatoes and... Uh, it must melt down then because it's hot. No, so it melts you do down you, a little bit. It's warm, but you have to have to spread it around a bit. Yeah, it'd be like putting ketchup on it or something. You're you're sort of like making potato salad. But it's hot. But it's hot. And then uh huh, maybe just, that's the origin. Did your family make things like this? Because I'm wondering if that's the origin of hot potato salad, which people think I'm crazy when I talk about it. But I remember having hot potato salad as a teenager. 
people used to make it to go with like baked beans and stuff, and it was delicious. And it was it was exactly what it said: hot potato salad. Well, and it did have a lot of what you're saying in it. My dad was a poor evangelist, and my mom was a a farmer's only daughter, so she knew some basics from farm and. And with the economy that they lived in most of their lives, they had to improvise. With Did they make that, though? Is this something like you had when you no, were growing this, up? No, this is kind of just something I've experimented and thrown together over the years. I can't really Potatoes say I learned Trona. any recipes from my parents. Potatoes Otrona. Uh, but uh, but once you've you've got that concoction on your plate... Then I grab whatever kind of seasoning I have in the refrigerator. Could be a salad dressing of whatever you've got. Uh, soy sauce is interesting. Uh, Worcestershire is interesting. You don't drown the whole dish in it. You just splash it down on the side and dip in it. Uh, and oh, I just uh, found a salad dressing lately that was the same that uh, Subway offers, uh, Chipotle Southwest, uh, made by Hidden Valley, I think is the manufacturer. So uh, this last week or two, I've been uh, squirting a few drops of uh, Chipotle Southwest on uh, on top of this, this potato concoction. Wow. That, that's been tasting pretty good, too. So anyway, that's how you survive on one meal a day in Toronto. <laughs> that is amazing. Is uh, yeah, it's it's ninety percent potatoes, and if I'm feeling real rich, I'll I'll fry an egg or two with it. But uh, we ate a lot of eggs in the starvation time we were on. We ate a lot of eggs because I mean it's a good source of protein and it's cheaper than a lot of other things. Yeah. Although, yeah. man, last month, eggs went up like 50 cents a dozen here. Yeah. Uh, all at once. And I was surprised. Over, over at Walmart, they were selling 18 eggs for like uh, 3.50 or something. It got, mm-hmm. got ridiculously cheap, and then suddenly it's it's 4.50 for the, for the same thing. And, wow, what happened? I guess they all got turned into uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken instead of, instead of <laughs> yeah, let them grow up. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, but man, yeah. And if you eat the same thing over and over again, too, you get damn sick of it after a while. It's like, ugh, I don't want that. Well, the shucks. The real chef of the show is Vel Am. She's telling us about all the stuff she's. She doing. is. She yep. needs to call in some night and tell us some of her recipes. <laughs> so. We could have a whole cooking show night. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, and what does everybody make that's cheap? I'll tell you, one of the things we make that's cheap is pea soup, because pea soup is very easy to make too in this mm. instant pressure cooker thing, because it's just you know it's just some chopped up ham or whatever, and you don't even have to use that if you don't have any. You could just chop up carrots or whatever, a little bit of onion or something, and throw the peas in. It's Eat. like it's amazing, and they cook and they it's it's pea soup. <laughs> and the peas, split peas, a bag of split peas is something like 99 cents. So that's a really cheap thing to eat, too, if somebody likes pea soup. And um, I don't know what else we had that was really cheap. I know the eggs were fairly cheap. Um, uh, it's just, you know, 
made bread in the bread machine, but you do have to have the ingredients for it. But it's cheap once you have the ingredients. You can make lots of it usually. Oh, is you know uh, flour and it's flour and yeast basically, and some salt and sugar and a little bit of that. That's it. Is uh, sourdough bread uh, popular back there? Um, I think some people like it. I've made it a couple of times, but a long time ago. I I like uh, it all right, but I don't know if it's really what I'd call popular. The the legend here in California is uh, is San Francisco has the best sourdough bread in the world. Mm. Uh, I can't say I've ever directly had it. The the one time I was up in Frisco on business, I don't recall eating a sourdough sandwich. But uh, but the nearby communities uh, down the coast, San Luis Obispo, mm-hmm. uh, has a brand of sourdough that's available way out here in the desert over in Ridgecrest, at least. Mm-hmm. And when I tried their, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, I think it's rosemary and thyme. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's or maybe it's rosemary and garlic. I forget, but. Uh, but that sourdough bread is fantastic. Uh, I mean, I've I've had something as simple as a lettuce sandwich. Yeah. That on that bread was fantastic. Yeah, it's a uh, nice bread. I remember it being nice. As far as the rosemary goes, I would love to know what rosemary is like because I don't think I've ever had it. But I can't, <laughs> I can't find it. That I can smell it and see if I like it. I don't want to buy a, a jar of like rosemary or or buy the herbs in a sealed packet and then not like it. It's like because it's expensive to buy fresh herbs. That, and if I don't like it, you know, I'm going to have to just ask around my friends, I guess, and see if anybody has any because I'd like to smell it and see if I like the smell of it or not. Well, uh, I wasn't. I hear it's healthy. I was not familiar with it either until I tasted it in in sourdough bread, and that was back in my Hollywood days when somebody brought in a loaf of of sourdough with rosemary and something in it, and uh, oh. that was just a fantastic combination flavors flavors and aromas. Oh, let's see, Dottie's asking about what about cheese and onions? Well, because they cost money. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure a lot of different cheeses. Oh, just imagine my potato potato thing I just described, uh, smothered with uh, with Gruyere uh, Gruyere uh, Swiss cheese. Yeah, oh, good. That, that would be very delicious. But uh, I started uh, making homemade pizza, and I love that. I made homemade pizza tonight. That's pretty cheap too, but you still have to buy like whatever you want on top of it. You got to buy the cheese. Or the, you know, whatever you're going to put on it. Yeah, but, but the tomato sauce is cheap. You can buy a little can of tomato sauce for 25 cents, and I only use half of one can on it because I like it, you know, not too tomatoey. So, but the dough is, I just make it in my bread machine, and it's, like, great. It comes out so good. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to do it, though, because you have to make the dough first, then you have to let it rise a little bit rested or whatever and then you have to roll it out and then you let it rise again on the pan so it takes you know you have to wait in between so it takes a few hours to get it completely done but that makes a good you know fairly inexpensive supper too you know as long as you got an oven that works 
I, Sometimes I saw you it. don't because it depends on if you have gas or not to run it. Speaking of food, I saw a crazy comment on Facebook. I don't know how much truth there is to it. They said that uh, Maine lobster used to be so abundant, it, yeah, was, it, was. Consi- it was considered prison food. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the things were because it was it's a bottom feeder. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Mussels, the same thing. They used to use it as bait. And now they people eat mussels. No. Uh, like, are you kidding? It was bait. <laughs> I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, <laughs> back in my seafood investigation days, when I was just making it a point to learn new different breeds of fish and whatever to snapper versus flounder versus whatever. Yeah. Uh, I I got a hold of a magazine about seafood. Uh, it was it was for it was an industry magazine. Is is why it's not a not a hobbyist of, of seafood. It was an industry magazine, and it had some beautiful photography in it of of dishes prepared at the, by the finest chefs of of this and that. And one item that was just beautiful to look at were uh, New Zealand green mussels. Uh, the mussel meat was bright orange. Uh, I don't and, know if I want that. <laughs> and the sh- the shell was was sea green. It was like the green on a golf course. It was just a brilliant shade of green. The green of Fukushima. Well, <laughs> sounds a little like it's you know something out of a mut- or, mutant movie or or a Simpsons cartoon or something. But yeah. Uh, but no, the just the way it looked in the photograph was, boy, that that might be tasty. So, uh, so for my birthday, some friends took me to a uh, a real nice uh, seafood restaurant in Malibu, and so they had everything imaginable on the menu, and I saw New Zealand mussels on the menu. Well, I've got to try that, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was an expensive dish, and so I get a plate full of New Zealand mussels. I was only able to eat about two or three bites, and I couldn't stomach any more. You're right, muscle meat is bait. That It's that, very chewy. Oh, extremely, and it's, oh, I'm not sure what adjective to use. It's It's just a really strong, fishy taste. Yeah, we and, stick with clams here. Clams are the thing that people like to eat. It's just some steamed clams. They call them steamers. Yeah. Well, even yeah. even clam meat, I prefer it chopped up in little tiny di- dice pieces. I, I can't yeah. bite into a big chunk of clam meat. Even that's too strong for my taste. Well, it's a acquired oh. taste, I think, because I don't think I ever had clams till I was an adult because I didn't grow up on the coast. I grew up in northern Maine, so... Uh-huh. We didn't eat we didn't eat fresh seafood up there, but on the coastal parts of Maine, boy, people grew up on clams and stuff, and they want them. I would eat them maybe once a year if I had an opportunity, but I wouldn't care to go looking for them any other time. Same with lobster. Lobster's yeah. good, but I wouldn't pay like a lot of money for it because to me, it's like it's a nice thing to have once in a while. As a you know, I don't even say it's a treat so much. I mean, if I had a cho- five different choices, I'm not sure I would choose lobster, but you know, once in a while you like something different and if there's a big group and they're all having a lobster, then you might have a lobster with them. But 
I sold them one summer. I worked in a lobster pound one summer for part of a summer and learned how to cook them and cut them and pick the meat out and everything for the restaurants. Cuts your hands all up because they're sharp. Yeah. But I I know how to do I know how to cook lobsters and and clean the meat out of them and everything. But well. I don't use that skill very often. But it is something I could do in a pinch. I could go to work for somebody picking lobster meat. I suppose. I sure love the taste <laughs> of a lobster tail. That that goes. Uh, yeah. And I actually prefer the tail to the claws. A lot of people like the claws better, but I I like the way the tail is. Well, it's because the tail is a nice big chunk of meat. It's like slicing into a huge steak. It's a little bit more chewy than the claw meat, but I do like it. I think it tastes good. Uh huh. Yeah. But, but uh, we um we did you know we did that and we got like a lot of people throw away the legs and the you know that the big knuckle things and everything. But we always pick the meat out of that, too. Yeah. You wouldn't think there'd be much in there, but there is in some of them. Yeah, with that that night I, I sampled the, the New Zealand mussels. Uh, that was kind of embarrassing. My, my friends are, are paying for this nice expensive meal at, at an expensive restaurant for me, and I only eat about three bites and I can't touch anymore. It was yeah. just awful. So I guess I filled up on 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 the free bread on the table. <laughs> the just just the get haddock. <laughs> Eat yeah, haddock. Uh, Everybody likes haddock. Yeah. Well. Uh, so I, I I tactfully said, well, I'll this tastes so strong, I'll just have to finish it at home. So I got a got a package to go home. A pa- yeah. I had it all wrapped up to go. Uh, when I got home, I threw it in my goldfish tank. And those goldfish loved it. <laughs> that was the best treat they had ever tasted. I can picture that. That is man. Funny. They were zipping all around the tank and diving down into those shells and 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 and, and munching away every last morsel that was on each one of those shells. So you're right. It's bait. Fish love it, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So uh if Funny. if you ever want to uh to make a a special treat for your goldfish, uh, go to the seafood department of your uh your local supermarket and get some New Zealand mussels. <laughs> I don't even know if we could get those here. We probably couldn't. They're they have nice seafood um displays and things at the grocery stores here though because people started wanting fresh fish, so uh-huh. I know somebody who uh, works on a commercial fishing vessel, and he's been pulling these huge halibuts out lately. Gigantic things those are. Not oh. as big as like what people are used to seeing as far as tuna goes or anything, but they're pretty big fish. I forget how much they weigh a piece. Uh, a halibut steak or fillet, whatever the term is, is delicious also. Yeah, they the restaurant down there was buying quite a bit of it for... Because when it's you know when it's around, people want it. Halibut uh, is good. You're right. Yeah, you're jogging my memory. the The best halibut meal I ever had was in a Mexican restaurant out here in uh, uh, West Hollywood, Beverly Hills. Uh, I think it was El Torito's was the chain. Uh, but they had a uh, a halibut that was oh fantastic. Baked and uh, and topped in butter, 
butter yep. and lemon, and boy, that was good. So, uh, yeah, there's there's great seafood out there, but I can't enjoy anything from the from the Pacific Ocean anymore, not with Fukushima. So I went looking today for just cans of tuna fish, and tuna has soy in it. I'm like, why does tuna have soy in it? What in the possible what possible reason would there be to put soy in tuna fish? <sighs> well, some of us aren't supposed to be eating soy because soy mimics estrogen. Estrogen helps cancer or tumors to grow. Well, so uh, we're I'm not sure supposed to have soy, and it's in all this food that you wouldn't expect it to be in. When I looked at that, because I wanted to know, you know, like where it was coming from, I was looking at where the tuna was coming from. And I see ingredients, and it says in there, and it's got contains soy. I'm like, why? It's fish. Why would it have soy in it? I think they are trying to kill us. They just want to keep giving us stuff and hiding it in our food. Because bread's got soy in it. There's no reason to have soy in wheat bread. Uh, I think, you know, we are feminizing the boys by giving them soy. There's a lot of different species of tuna. Uh, the top end is like bluefin and then albacore, and then going down the scale, down at the bottom end would be, I think, bonita. And bonita is a very oily fish, but up at the top end, albacore is not oily at all. That's what I usually get. So albacore might need some oil added because it's not a naturally oily fish. Uh, albacore meat just cooks pure white. Yeah, that's what I usually get. Yeah. Uh, I just couldn't figure out why it would have soy in it. I'm going to look and see if there's any other types of tuna that doesn't have soy in it. Because, you know, I'm old-fashioned. If I'm buying tuna fish, I think it should be tuna fish. Just tuna fish. <laughs> I don't want other stuff yeah. added to it. Uh and I don't want Fukushima stuff in it either. Well, that's the scary thing now is the only fish that's safe to eat would be Atlantic cod. Hmm. And you got to be careful that it's not Gulf of Mexico cod or it's got Corexit or other BP blowout chemis- chemicals in it. Yeah. If if the fish is still alive at all, cause I'm afraid the BP blowout just killed off everything down there. Uh, I know Gulf shrimp used to be a classic, but you don't dare touch them any, anymore because uh, BP killed them all off and or contaminated the few ones that managed to stay alive. Yep. Um, I'm uh, reading of another future hobby I'd like to start if I get my own house again, and that's uh, aquaponics. Yep. Uh, raising fish and then plumbing the fish water over to fertilize your organic plants. Thus, you have an organic uh, plant farm for for that, as well as uh, you raise a popular eating fish like tilapia as as a, a as a fish harvest. Uh, and the, that's interesting thing. Of course, you need a, a really big tank to do that. 
but I've had a couple of 60-gallon tanks in my apartment. So uh, I've got a little experience raising fish. I know some of the things that can go wrong. But yep. it would be, would be fun Well, it would be too. something different to do. Uh, yeah. Something uh, interesting. Nice to, to raise my own organic crop. It would be fun also. <coughs> anyway, I dream on. But in the meantime, I, I got to sell my metal detector and pay my bills by the end of the month here. Yeah. So, uh, such is life. But yeah, my earlier comment, if if a family member does well, it would be for his own good to keep the money in the family and become the family banker and start financing other family members' big expenses, housing and vehicles especially. Get away from the high interest that uh, that drags everybody down with your mortgage payment or uh, or your car payments would sure be nice. But, uh, yeah, and people have to be like um, honest and and be able to take criticism because that's what usually breaks up the family too. So I don't know, distant family member maybe. <laughs> I was gonna say because they would get into some kind of argument over it. Well, we know Jews stick together, and they've kind of been doing family banking and embarrassing all the rest of us, <laughs> all the yeah. rest of us breeds of humans. Yeah. Uh, that's why they control the banking industry. The rest of us don't. So uh, we need to need to begin helping out our own families here as best we can. But uh, you gotta have to you have to show a certain amount of success to be able to do that. Though. Yeah. And I I just know when when you get as poor as 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 I've gotten, your family stops talking to you. <laughs> so. Yeah, you're not useful anymore. No. Pretty sad, but true. No, and you can't afford to socialize anymore. And, uh, no. Uh, that's just the way that goes. Anyway, such is life. Yeah, Enough I don't of desert like people. Enough of Desert Peace belly aching here. I don't have to like it, and you don't have to like it either. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like it used to be, that's for sure. People wouldn't do that in the old days. Now they would. Well, I want to get rich enough to cast a custom bell in Maine. <laughs> yeah? And... uh because I got that idea from that that table I talked about last week. Yep. And since then, I found another glass table for four with uh, that was wood and ironwork. And the way it the ironwork shaped, I realized, oh, with that table, I could actually hang a bell right down the middle. And that would be neat. Have a clapper on a string there, and you could ring the bell for dinner, dinner or something. Hmm. Uh, and it was really just as ornate as that uh, that fancy one with the ship helm on it. It was just just slightly different shape and such. So I'm, now I'm back to my idea. Well, I I missed getting that classic sea serpent clipper ship bell. Uh, somebody else got it before I could afford it. But uh, now that I found a company that actually casts bells 
and you can have whatever name or graphic you want put on the bell, thinking, well, maybe that's a better idea for my uh, my company's conference room. And so I'll get my company name cast into the bell. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, something different. Conversation piece at the very least. Yeah, that's the only uh, drawback of that, that great table I, I, I talked about last week is uh, th- that was a 16-inch bell. Those are huge. They weigh about 75, 80 pounds, which is what ad- added the stability to the table. So it, it the bell itself sat on the ground, and that kept the whole table stable for everybody to lean on with your arms and whatever. Uh, but you couldn't ring the bell. If it's sitting on the ground, you can't ring it. It's yeah. just going to be a dull thud. But uh, with this other table I just found on Craigslist, and hope I can find the money to get it before somebody else beats me to that one, uh, I could actually hang a bell right down the middle of, of the table. Uh, and you could see it through the glass top and such, and it would be nice and decorative, and, and, and a hung bell I could actually ring. be nice, so... Uh, I don't think I can afford to cast a 16-inch bell, and I don't think a 16-inch bell would fit in the middle of that table. Uh, so I'd have to get a smaller one cast. And and those 16-inch bells cost $9,000 to have cast. <laughs> so that that's a bit steep. But uh, but maybe I could afford a smaller one and, and have the company name put on it. So anyway, just thinking out loud here. Another idea. Another idea, and all it takes is money. So right, there. money and uh, a little success. So, well, let's pray we all see some success here in the near future. With, yep. Of all our efforts. Well, I'm talked out. I'm past the end of my list, and uh, end of past memories here. Yeah, it's so, always uh, fun to talk, though. I just start to fade, and then I'm like, okay, now I'm sitting here sort of catatonic, but it's because it's late here. <laughs> I'm not on your time schedule, so. Yeah. Here it's after 11, so I'm getting, like, zoned out. <clears throat> but, yeah, um, I think that <laughs> I always feel like, you know, it's hopeful at least. I think things are going well in general. It's just that we need to have our recovery. We need our recovery a little sooner rather than later. And I I don't know whether we're going going to get our recovery, the baby boomers, or if they're going to just say, well, they're gone soon, it won't matter. We'll just leave them out in the cold. Well, it would just be nice if if banks or somebody would start opening up some money to businesses, so that we can so that small businesses can go out and do more business. Uh. One little thing I've observed here in Las Vegas uh, from from past talk shows, I've mentioned that I, I love admiring big mansions that I can't possibly afford. Yeah. Well, one particular neighborhood over in Vegas caught my attention because it was on a lake, and all these beautiful multimillion-dollar homes surrounding the lake. It was just a gorgeous neighborhood. And on one of my trips over there, I uh, I intentionally drove up to take a look at the neighborhood and you're you're going down real busy noisy Las Vegas street on on the way there and then as I turned into the neighborhood 
suddenly everything got quiet. <laughs> the neighborhood had so many full-grown trees in there, all the noise of the city just disappeared. Yeah. And it was like stepping from the city right on the, into the desert in just about a half a block distance. And the uh, the peaceful serenity around that lake was just astounding. It, it again, it's it's like like stepping in a very short distance from from noisy Las Vegas, crazy casinos and everything, and suddenly you're you're by a, a mountain lake. And uh, that neighborhood just really impressed me. And so I've I've been admiring two or three homes there that I've noticed some have been listed for over a year. Uh, some close, one has been listed for close to two years. And all of a sudden, in the last 30 days, three of those homes sold. Mm-hmm. That had well, been listed a long time. Well, does that mean time. things are getting better? That means somebody found the money to buy a million-dollar home. Yep. All, th- all three of them were uh, were oh, about a one to one and a half million size. No, one was two million, and and they were uh, two were on the same street. The other was just the next street over. Uh, so so three over million dollar homes in the same neighborhood sold in in less than thirty days, and. Uh, uh, one of them I know had been listed for for almost over a year. So uh, some money is is loosening up. Hope and pray some loosens up my direction here pretty soon. If I can get out of this uh, this arson <laughs> capital of California, I've <laughs> counted since I moved here nine homes have been torched. Yep. Nine homes plus my own garage, garage office. So uh, uh, it's it, it's time I move back to to civilization, where uh, where the kids' local pastime is not torching houses. Yeah, really. So things, well, things have kind of gotten bad even in the places that used to be good. So everybody has to be extremely careful where they go because it can be it can be different. Like in mo- a few months after you move in, oh, trending. Yeah. You know, as far as trending um, changes in a certain place, like Bangor's changed quite a bit from how it was ten years ago, even. And it's just, it's not, it's not really anything I want to contribute too much to anymore. And it's just because I felt like I've already given them too much, and they're they're wasting it. They wasted a lot of, um, you know, people's funds and goodwill and everything else as far as, you know, wanting to build it up as a community that you belong to. Who cares now? Because it doesn't matter what you think. They're going to do whatever they want. So I figure, okay, then, let them pay for whatever they're going to do because I don't want to do it. I'm, like, going to just subsistence live, I think, instead of trying to... uh, bring in any more taxes for them. I'm awful jaded now. I'm starting to be a whole different person. I'm getting crabby. 
in my old age. Well, the older we get, the more we understand what's worth worrying about and what's <clears throat> what's worth being cautious about. I would have been better off if I'd lived in a cabin in the woods than living in town like this. <laughs> I spent a lot of money living here. And I feel like it was, you know, bait and switch kind of thing. Like, oh, we got your money now, so we're done. We don't need you anymore. Well, <clears throat> I almost feel the same way about my 25 years in Los Angeles, that the cost of living in Los Angeles just ate up every dollar I earned. Yeah. Uh, and when it finally became too much and I realized I've been in this city for 25 years and I have no savings, uh, something's got to change here pretty quick. And uh, 16 years of solitude in the desert gets you to thinking about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Got lots of time for that. Yeah. Well, at least I, I landed here kind of rent-free, but... Uh, but there's still utilities and, and other things in life that even if somebody gives you a house, it costs something to maintain it. Yeah. Uh, and keep it from completely collapsing. So uh, those are factors you have to consider. But, uh, but man, as, as I commented in the chat earlier, two biggest expenses in life are, are transportation and housing. And those are the two topics that banks love to jump in and add their interest, which kills the whole story. You think, well, I'll work a few years and pay off a house. Well, the dumbest thing I ever did in my life was signing a 30-year mortgage when I was in my 20s. I had no idea that those 30 years would go by so fast and I suddenly find myself in my late 50s and 60s and uh, and all my money if I had been, been able to follow through with it uh, would have simply bought that house and bought the banker his own house and bought the banker a house for his mistress <laughs> I didn't realize when I signed that 30 year mortgage that I was going to be paying for that house three times over yeah. Oh. Uh, it was it was fraud. It is. And it the settlements they is. did, as far as what I found out, was they they paid settlements to the different states, and then the states took the money into something else with it. It should have gone back to the people they defrauded. Don't you think? I mean, uh, to me, that's yeah. where the money should have gone back. Um, uh, that uh, guy Brooks Agnew on his last uh. Brooks Agnew on, a, on his last talk show mentioned something I hadn't uh, hadn't given much thought to, but it's uh, very true. Uh, when uh, when you look at the cost of a house, the most relevant question you need to ask is what is the interest on it. Mm-hmm. And ideally, if you could pay cash, that's fantastic, but not many people can. And so yeah. the interest rate you end up paying is is the next biggest factor to worry about. Um, he said things that are considered in the structure itself are its structure and its upkeep to keep it weatherproof. Mm-hmm. But 
bankers have no consideration about utility cost. No. And he said what California just did recently is they're running legislation through, and I think it got passed, that uh, all new construction starting in the year 2020, I think, has to be equipped with solar. Well, he pointed out that uh, utility cost has never been a factor in the price of a house. Uh, location, location, location is all people think about. Yeah. Uh, and to mandate solar now forcibly brings the cost of utility into the base price of the house. So he said all this is going to accomplish is raising the price of every home by ten or $20,000 as the new construction cost. And will it honestly reduce the long-term utility cost? That remains to be seen because utility companies have been fighting back and they will only buy the power from you at wholesale price, namely four or five cents a kilowatt. But they're charging you anywhere from 10 to 30 cents a kilowatt retail. So those expensive solar panels on your roof are only producing four cents a kilowatt power. But when the sun goes down and you have to buy power from the utility company, you're paying 10 to 30 cents a kilowatt. And so what has what have the uh, solar panels accomplished for you? Uh, what it's done is it's going to make Elon Musk even richer because he's the only company out there now with the design of a roofing shingle that's actually a solar cell, but it looks like a roofing shingle. So you end up with beautiful-looking roofs that are actually solar. Yeah. And so that's what new contractors are going to have to use. And who's the only guy making them? Elon Musk. And, and why do they have to use them? Because somebody decided somewhere. Yeah. And who is the person that gets to decide such things? Yeah. So something went under the table in Sacramento. You can be sure of that. I mean, really, when you come right down to it, what business is it of theirs, what you put on your roof? They overstepped a long time ago, and people just let them. That's Agenda 2030 right there. I bet you anything is listed in there yeah. about solar housing. But, well, you know, the UN's going to tell us what to do anyway. They're going to tell us everything what we should do because that's the global governance. As, as anybody who's looked at my webpage knows, I am a clean energy advocate. I, I think yeah. it's a great idea, but it's got to be done with common sense. It and should the, be voluntary, too. It shouldn't this, be something they force on you. Yeah, this Democrat Bolshevik version of green energy is hideous. It's wrong from square one. It's total political control. It has nothing to do with, with clean air and clean water. It's got everything to do with control of people. And... Uh, Political money going into clean energy has given us these three-blade windmills that kill big birds. Uh, it's given us the Ivanpah facility just outside Vegas that uh, 
burns over a thousand birds a year. Migrating birds that try to fly through over those uh, all those mirrors end up bursting into flames. Yikes! Um, the, Glad I'm big... not seeing that. Somebody should get that and make a viral video with it. Oh, the video's out there. I, really? I have, it's it's on my uh, my energy page. I think I put Ugh. that up last year. Awful. Of uh, somebody just locked a camera off on a tripod, and uh, uh, you see su- these sudden puffs of smoke up near the oh. boiler. And yeah, that was a bird who who flew too close to the boiler, and all the mirrors, all those thousands of mirrors out there were aimed right at that one spot. And as soon as the bird flew it, flew through it, he just burst into a a puff of smoke. Horrible. Uh, and the the number is in the thousands. It, it's uh, it's like so many are, uh, an hour are are just being destroyed that way um, and it's an annoyance to pilots who have to fly over that on the way in and out of Vegas uh, to have sudden, this sudden bright spot underneath them that uh, <laughs> that almost boils the bottom of your plane <laughs> as you're, you're flying overhead yeah uh, so uh, yeah so that that's what, what liberal politician money does when it, when it goes into clean energy it doesn't uh, it doesn't do things right. The guy that contributes a lot of stuff uh, on my my website uh, uh, for technical write-ups has pointed out you know, nuclear remediation and uh, and genuine clean energy. There's a long list of technologies out there that, for some odd reason, just cannot find funding to get them out to market, and it's because it's all politics. Getting the attention of the right uh, politician, well, you don't have enough to bribe them. So, um, it's just the way that goes. So anyway, those ongoing challenges, and, and all of us have got basic survival we got to deal with here, like desert pizza, internet connection, and, and things. Like that. Really, the mo- that is really kind of urgent at this point because people use it for everything now. The internet, you got to have yeah. it. Well, it, oh, wow. it's as important as as a phone was, and and now they've gotten phone bill and internet strapped together in one bill. So yeah, those packages like that bundled things. Yeah, part of the reason why they're not such a great idea. Sounded like a bargain at, at the start, but uh, but once you get into it, you're stuck with it. So uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Enough of my belly aches and on on to other stuff here. So thanks everybody for uh, enduring my uh, my ongoing whining here. But uh, we have to we have to get it all out. So I think we did. I'm half asleep, so I'm not even sounding like I know what I'm talking about. I don't drink, but I know I sound a little flurred because I'm half asleep. <laughs> it was a long day today. The jet started in at daybreak, and I think that was around 6 this morning, so I'm just really tired. But I appreciate you calling in. Uh, thanks for doing another show. Appreciate your You're efforts to, to keep a show for, for all of us to, to vent our uh, our views on things, whether by uh, by voice in my case or, or all, all, the, all the contributing uh, text comments tonight, too. Yeah, I like to... I like to see what's going on everywhere because I think it. I think it does 
you know, inform on people's local things. I don't think, sometimes, I mean, I like talking about the global stuff, but then when you get right down to it, we are living in a localized environment, and I want to see how it affects that. So it's kind of like that's one of my focuses is to um, try to see how the two things relate to each other, like what they're doing in Maine, how it relates to what they're doing elsewhere, because they are. They're doing the same things everywhere. Just some people aren't seeing it because they live in a large population area or something where they never hear anything about what's going on. They just live their life. We hear about it up here, at least. They they actually can't hide it. So I find it interesting. Back when I found that... Uh, uh that that ship helm and, and bell table, my mind yeah. got to working on the, the the name of that ship was the Sea Serpent. Yeah. And growing up in the '60s, that reminded me of uh, the cartoon uh, Cecil the Seasick Sea Serpent uh, from back really? in the '60s. Do you remember that that show at all? I don't think I do. Uh, anyway, it was it was aimed for a, a five year old mentality and. And I enjoyed it back then. Hmm. Um, but uh, it was uh, oh, uh, that, that was the character's name was was Cecil the Seasick Sea Serpent. The name of the show was called Beanie and Cecil. And Beanie was a, a young boy who always wore a beanie hat with a propeller on it, and he had a pet sea serpent. Uh, was the premise. Hmm. Uh, well, looking at. Uh, at all these uh, these mansions in Vegas and their their assortment of of, of unique swimming pools, uh, I saw one. That I thought that would be a uh, a unique format. Is uh, something I saw at uh, NAB one year, the uh, National Association of Broadcasters Convention. Uh, was a software where they had an animated character all inside the virtual computer mind, and a live actor uh, wore sensors on his hand and his face so that he could move around and even do facial expressions and the computer immediately translated what the live actor did over to this animated character. Hmm. So the animated character could suddenly turn around and walk over here or walk over there or do anything that the actor did, and the actor was doing it against... uh, Well, it wasn't necessarily a green screen because it was not not showing the, the real actor. It was... It was showing an animated character against a a fictitious background, uh, and I came up with the idea: What if you had a swimming pool in Las Vegas, and everybody in Hollywood knows that old Hollywood actors retire in Las Vegas? What if two classic sea serpents? are now up in years, and they retired in Las Vegas. And all they do is sit around and talk about politics all day. (laughs) Mm. 
uh, and the the other sea serpent, of course, would be the Loch Ness monster from uh, from Scotland. Uh, so you would have uh, uh, Cecil and and Nessie <laughs> as as retired sea serpents, now retired in Las Vegas. <laughs> and, you know, so you'd have one American and one one Scotsman. Uh, discussing international politics, so I, I think I just came up with the premise of of a, of a new TV show. Hey, and, do it! And then, uh, and then we use a couple of live actors, uh, one with a with a with kind of the Cecil's uh, hillbilly accent, and the other with a, a Scottish brogue, and uh, uh, just bantering back and forth between uh, American and European politics uh, against a, a Las Vegas background. But then, uh, I mean, you could show a live swimming pool uh, with maybe a water slide or something in the background, a constant swimming pool kind of activity. Uh, Shocks Mandalay Bay has a beach with, uh, with, with artificial waves coming in all the time. But I don't necessarily want to do business with Mandalay Bay anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. But the point is, uh, uh, taking two fictitious characters, hi- historical somewhat, and uh, and then blending in a, a political talk show, and so that would be open to any kind of political humor you can you could imagine. Uh, but just let a couple of uh, couple of ocean snakes deliver the jokes. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to write it all up and send it somewhere and see what they think. Another premise. So if, uh, if anybody from Hollywood is listening and if, if we see a uh, a couple of sea serpent uh, uh, lead characters in a, in a uh, in an episode showing up next year, we'll know where they where they got the idea from. So. Oh. Anyhow, I'm going long here. I'm going to put everybody to sleep. So thanks well, again for doing I the show. Think all the, I think all the East Coast is gone. Dottie <laughs> left. She got tired too, so she's gone. So you've got the West Coasters out there. That's about it. Got to go. Uh, <clears throat> nothing else. Get a fresh glass of water. <laughs> yep. Up the day off. Okay, thanks again for doing the show, Ginger. Appreciate thanks. all, all your efforts you. to keep us going. So uh, whether it's next week or, or the week after next, look forward to seeing everybody here again on the next round. Okay, sounds good. All right, good night for now. Okay, good night. All right, my chickadees, as we say here in Maine. I don't know if anyone else says that, but my little chickadees is a term, term of, of endearment. endearment. I'm going to say good night. See you next time. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 